Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. This was my Desert Island Discs, like, yes. you know, for years. Like, I have my Desert Island Discs there ready, and I had my five. You had to be there as ready as well. <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Welcome along to Tuesday morning's OTVM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. Myself and Colin Buhig live with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Good morning, Colin. Very deafened there. It turned sorry, you up too loud. I was sorry, so excited yeah. by you. What a shirt. It's not a bad shirt, is it? You know? There's a uh, people who can't see it. There's, there's a few like football pitch type designs on this this shirt. It's a Paul Galvin. We've got to thank Paul Galvin for dressing us for this show. Very kindly sent in the He finest. doesn't actually physically, like, so he provides the clothes, but he doesn't actually put the clothes on us. We we are um, oh, do you, do you not capable of dressing ourselves. Do you not get the text from him every morning? Oh, and he pops into the, the gaff. I think you should wear this today. Oh, of right, a Tuesday. Right, right, right. Yeah, not outing him or anything like that. Fair, but, fair. Yeah, that's okay. He does like to influence what we do and what we wear. That's a Paul. That's a Paul Galvin shirt as well. It is yeah. And Tommy Rooney has this. Tommy Rooney has it. As I well. saw him somewhere in the holidays. There's. A, I don't know if this was his intention. There's a definitely an American football. Yeah, uh, Johnny Ward was in there last week and he said there's a New York Jets um, angle off it. That's what struck me. Well, I was fine with that. Yeah. I have a New York Jets fridge magnet, so might as well keep going with it, you know? Keep the theme going. Yeah, um, yeah so fair play to Paul Galvin for, for dressing us. Uh, he clearly physically dresses Colm, but uh, just provides clothes for myself. Oh no, it's just advice, fashion advice about okay. what to wear and when to wear. That's fine, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You're also on a Whambos at the moment that uh, we mentioned at the start of yesterday's show, but has has continued to the point where you're sending me Wham songs on... On WhatsApp this morning, your man didn't had never heard of Club Tropicana. Sorry, well, it's I, unbelievable. Well, I, I'd heard of the song, but it, it wasn't like <laughs> Juicer Cameron is about six years your junior, he, he and he was here. bopping along to it outside, yeah. being like, "What a tune!" It's a great tune. Well, the, the there's drinks, no, there's the, no reason that you shouldn't heard it, but I'm telling you, right, the, it, the song now is new to you, so enjoy the chorus and the main part. Yeah, but the bass intro. Never really understood the musicality of it until I saw this documentary. Yeah. Let alone a great songwriter and musician, um, George Michael. What a producer. Right, right, right. Because he produced all this. Top tier. The drinks are free in Club Tropicana, apparently. There, yeah. And it was just the two boys' idea of what Club Tropicana would be like. They wrote it in their living rooms in England. So they never been... This boy was banging out lyrics for Careless Whisper in his teens, like. <laughs> Some people are born uh, with it. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, that's, that's my favourite. famous favorite. by... Um, what was that movie? What's it in? Is it uh, Zoolander? I want to say Zoolander. Could be. Is I think that reintroduces it to a whole new generation. Right. Is this, uh, oh, Zoolander? there's me playing. There's literally yeah, me. Yeah, Emma confirms. As, as, I, as yeah. I look up here, the answer. So, uh, uh, like, unbelievable, really. And then just, like, the, the most selfless man in showbiz, Andrew Ridgely, off with you, George. Enjoy it. Careless Whisper was a single, not on one. It was right. a single written by and released by George Michael. Himself. And Ridgely was like, you do it. Keep the money, and keep the proceeds. One thing we didn't mention yesterday, last Christmas, the all-time classic, which you had heard of. Yeah, of course. Every penny of that went to charity. Jeez. You'd be welling up watching this, like. He was a, he was a very generous man. I remember even the time of his death, all the money, a lot of the money going to yeah, he different had, causes. And he did not want any credit for it. In fact, he insisted, do not mention me. And it was only after he passed that people said, look, got to say it, like, this is what he did. You're one of those people who's like me, who, when you watch a documentary about something, you get obsessed, like, obsessed for a very short period of time. Yeah. And then you move on to the next thing. But, like, you will be obsessed yeah, with George Michael Wham. Like, wham, get over it. Like, yes. Yeah. No, but right now I'm mad into it. But, I, yeah, like, I'd be, like, an IMDb boy for a movie I just watched. I yeah. get all the facts about it. 
But uh, I said on yesterday morning's show, and one of the guests today, I'm sure we'll do the coming up, but yeah. Jess Kelly is going to be on the show and she watched the Wham! documentary yesterday. yesterday on the back of us talking about it yesterday morning. Emma Carroll is going to watch it. So am I. I'll I get, hope I Shane Hannon will watch it too. I promise to give it a watch, I do. Um, PWGC on the YouTube comments keep the YouTube comments coming in by the way between 9 and 10 o'clock says the one movie is magic if you enjoyed the Oasis movie Supersonic then watch this one I have I was about to say yeah, like I have seen and enjoyed Supersonic have you seen Supersonic yeah, yeah I really like Supersonic that's my favourite music so, documentary so maybe then yeah that's it is for me the and also movie. the style of this it's uh, as Steve-O was saying yesterday in the office Stephen Doyle who originally put me onto this and Paul Moore too fan of the show also said you're going to watch this one documentary um, it's done in the style of Azif Kapadia. Do you know his documentary yeah, yeah. about Senna and Amy Winehouse? It's um, you can hear the voices of Ridgely and George Michael. I don't know when the George Michael voices are recorded, actually. But you don't, you never see them. Yeah. So it's all just over footage, and they do not hang about. There's no slow intro. It's only an hour and a half, and they get straight into it. So like, well worth your time because it flies by. There is another movie uh, upcoming that uh, there is a lot of secrecy and a veil of. Um quietness and clandestine activity around it's the F1 movie I don't know people might have seen this if you watched the British Grand Prix at Silverstone uh, at the weekend just gone you might have seen Brad Pitt and Damson Idris the other actor who you may remember from Snowfall there there's a photo of Brad in his ages like so his uh, fictional teams what, what age do you think Brad Pitt is he's like, in his 50s for sure he might even be in his is he late 50s I'd say at this stage what's your number 58 59 not, not bad he is 59 he's a freak that was good he's that a freak good. of beauty that looks man. very very Look well him like. uh, so he's wearing the, the clothes there of um, this fictional team from this as yet unnamed movie he's done an interview in the last couple of days with Martin Brundle the famous Martin Brundle from the, uh, the Pit Lane Walks and uh, he, uh, he spoke to him about the experience of filming this movie so they when the drivers were walking out to the grid at the weekend the Twitty drivers there were two extra drivers so Brad as you saw in that photo there and Damson Idris his co-star um, as part of this filming for this movie Brad also got to take a, a junior F2 car which was modified to look like an F1 car out onto the track so he's literally driving at Silverstone in front of the tens of thousands of fans and like he, he, he just came off the track spoke to Brundle and I, I've never seen a, a grown man as excited as Brad Pitt was coming off that like he he said this is the time of his life like I don't think he's ever enjoyed a movie as much as making this one. Wow! It's unnamed. He he did reveal in the interview Javier Bardem is going to have a role. He's basically Damson Idris is the young up and coming driver on this team, kind of at the bottom of the grid. Mm. Brad Pitt is the washed up driver from like the nineties that was brilliant back then, but he, they've uh, managed to squeeze him out of retirement for one last push uh, as kind of a role, last roll of the dice for this team that are having a terrible time. Yeah. You'd imagine then the the Brad Pitt. Storyline uh, is kind of developed. does kind of washed up very well. He does do washed up. There's something yeah. I, like for a leading man. He's more of a character actor, really. He is. But his looks betray the character actor aspect. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, Lewis Hamilton is one of the producers of this film. Jerry yeah. Bruckheimer, famous uh, producer as well. It's directed by um, Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Top Gun Maverick. So, like, that kind of vibe. They also, when, when they had that car out on track that um, Pitt and Damson Idris brought out on the track, the amount of different camera angles apparently that they've had in the car. So, like, he says you'll, you'll never have seen speed. In this sense, mm. he just has a massive. Pre- I, I, he he loves riding motorbikes, Brad Pitt, and he for years is an adrenaline him. junkie. He is big time. There's he's like a Tom Cruise. Uh, interview with him in the peak of his stardom. Well, he's I suppose he's he's still peaking, isn't he? But in the late nineties with Oprah, mm. uh, and he's like, um, he's like, I don't really like watching sports. I have to partake in them all. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, there's also a scene that you forget about when Jackass, the show, yeah, 
first came out, right? And that was the biggest thing ever, the start of the 21st century. He appears in Jackass. Brad Pitt? Yeah, he's in He's in an episode of Jackass. I do And he does a few it. stunts with them and he's dressed up like in a suit so you wouldn't know who he is like in a costume. So he is in And he does like run around like terrorising people or whatever they're doing. <laughs> so he, and he just did that because he wanted to. This is when he was married to Jennifer Aniston around that time. Brilliant. Like He it, just does whatever he wants. He's gone up in my estimation massively. Like this, this whole F1 thing is going to be... He was even like on the on the during the interview with Martin Brundle. He was like, "Oh yeah, we'll get we'll get you to do a cameo," because he's he's like a big fan of like a huge fan of Martin Brundle's. Like he watches all the coverage of F one every week. He uh, he's like, "Oh, you won Le Mans, and like you've done this and you've done that." And it's like he's just he is upset. Like this is an obsession for Brad Pitt. So this is like his movie that he's probably gonna look back on as the, wow. the one he really enjoyed doing most. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing. It. I don't I have no idea when it's out. Just being filmed at the moment, so and so Lewis Hamilton's one of the producers. Is Brad Pitt also producing? Because he, has I think he is. Plan B is his company. He they did yeah. Wolf of Wall Street. They're involved. Yeah, they're yeah. involved in this one as well. Um, so I'm I'm absolutely buzzing for this. Martin Brundle, by the way, is 64. So he's only five years older than than Pitt. But the two of them stand. Uh, Martin Brundle looks well as well. Michael here in the comments. Uh, George Michael live in Point Depot was possibly the greatest live show I've ever been at. Would love to have seen him live. Taxi Driver this morning. Obviously, we got talking about documentary. Yeah, of course. We saw him twice. Live, yeah, right, incredible. What was your first concert? Point Depot just reminded me. Ask me what my first concert. I think is. I was at Westlife. I would say Depot. to him, I don't know. I can't remember now. I let you think. It would have been in something in probably Parky Ring. Oh, of course. Good pronunciation. Good Cork pronunciation there. Yeah, good Irish pronunciation. To be fair, Parky Ring. Connor says, "Did anyone see Brundle's interview with Cara, Cara Delevingne?" Did you see this? I didn't actually see it. Uh, I saw the of it. Sue, Sue Murphy came in yesterday and was like, did anyone see this? You have to watch this. Because Martin Brundle... He's funny, is he? He does not give yeah. to you-know-what. He just doesn't care. And he's, do, he's doing the grid walk. He's chatting to people left, right and centre. And walks up to Cara Delevingne and, and there's a PR person or an F1 PR person beside her who's like shaking their head. And he walks up to her and he says, so, two seconds for a chat. And all she has to do is say, yeah, having a great time. It's a lot of fun. It's crazy. It's great to be here. And he will walk on. He doesn't care. But she's like, no. And Martin's like, just two seconds for a chat. Like, it won't take up too much of your time, essentially. And uh, yeah, she's not having any of it. She had to come out on social media afterwards because she looks, she doesn't come out of it looking too too well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, she was explaining, look, I was told by the PO person not to say anything. And everyone's like, well, you could have just said the most basic thing of all time. A lot of the people on the grid, for some reason, these celebrities, their PR people don't warn them and say, here's a photograph of Martin Brundle. He's probably going to put put a microphone in your face. Just say a little something nice for two seconds, and we will walk away. But um, yeah, he's had a lot of these awkward moments. Was Beyonce one of them at one stage? There's been like countless moments on that F1 grid where uh, Brundle has. Uh, Dara Tool says she was so rude. <laughs> Jack says she came across so petulant. Um, Haas have come out and said that he he shouldn't have pushed her. There is that element. Two people think that Brundle maybe maybe gets in people's faces, but look, it's quick. It's it's chaotic on the grid before an F1 race yeah. but uh, yeah looking forward to that movie yeah, I should mention before we uh, move on here's what is coming up between now and 10 o'clock on the show this morning we will talk Manchester United with Daniel Harris from around 8 o'clock uh, Mason Mount we'll talk to Hayes exit Andre Onana rumours the club's sale gone a little bit quiet in the last uh, couple of weeks as well Jenny Claffey's going to be in studio from around 25 past 8 for the latest on Wimbledon and uh, possible news of a little challenge that is coming up, upcoming for Team OTB and uh, John Duggan coming up at eight forty-five. We'll reflect on the weekend's hurling. He's of course devastated after Clare's defeat. Eight fifty-five. Jess Kelly uh, will talk us through Hawkeye. Um, how does it work? How much does it cost? Why does it not work in big matches at the odd time? 
uh, famously at the Monaghan Armagh ga- game recently the Galway Armagh game or no Galway there he was at last year uh, half time her- half time it was madness and then the hurling power rankings will come at around uh, 10 past 9 Willow Callaghan in studio no less mm. to see uh, did last weekend semi-finals change the rankings somewhat and Rory O'Connor then from half past 9 talking on the show with Joe last night not to give too much of a spider but um, Jess Kelly's findings are very interesting on Hawkeye she's kindly sent them on to you and I but we'll save it for the slash but yeah. it's well worth uh, tuning in for because the stats around it are bonkers really captivating actually because um, it is such a contentious system like was this, so for the two quarterfinals in the football the weekend before last, they used them on the Saturday and yeah. they dropped it for the Sunday. Yes. I remember my reaction being like to, one of total unsurprise. Yeah, because in case... Acceptance. Well, what, what if there had been a contentious point on the Very Sunday? luckily, those, both of those games were whitewashes, so it didn't yeah, really matter. Yeah, exactly, and there were no incidents of note. Um, the yeah. other thing about Croke Park is the, um, the Hill 16 violence. Yeah, again. Which, so I saw the, image, or the video yesterday from Sunday of the Clare fan or someone wearing a Clare jersey leaning over a, a, a woman in a Kilkenny jersey almost hitting her Yeah, obviously to hit a lad behind her in, also in a Kilkenny jersey this seems to be happening a lot Monaghan and Armagh fans clearly very young in the video that I saw probably filled up with drink on the bus up to Croke Park that morning just battering each other on Hill 16 as well um, didn't it happen the that happened the previous weekend as well. Yeah, so it seems in, to be in the uh, Armagh Monaghan match. Yeah, so the Armagh Monaghan game, and then the following day, yeah. one of the other quarterfinals had happened again. I can't remember which set of fans. I'm not going to. Was it Dublin Mayo or Cork Derry? I can't remember which. I don't remember that footage now. No, there might have been footage, but I think there was talk of, of okay, incidents yeah, yeah, potentially yeah. happening. I, I don't know the 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 threats from the GA seem to be that you know we'll have to put numbered seating. What's growing <laughs> trends? Like I, I um. Look, this could have been happening throughout the years and it's undocumented yeah. and just discussed. But now, obviously, we have footage of this thing. And it seems to me like it's it's a certain demographic are engaging in this violence. Sure. Like It's like lads in their early 20s. Yeah. And I don't know what they're inspired by. Like It could be like substances. It could be like Andrew Tate generation or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's mad, though, because like, the first part of call seems to be violence. Like mm. You know, usually at uh, GA matches, like there's a bit of crack and a bit of back and forth and it can get heated. But it always remains verbals. Like it's actually a testament to your wit yeah. to see who wins the fight. Really, in game matches when fans are sharing spaces, it's funny. Like, it's horrible because you know it was the last uh, batch of like sports where you could genuinely share the space. Like yeah, in GEA, you know, hundred percent. Like it, it's it's complete foreign aspect. If you were to say to your typical Premier League fan in England, can you imagine Liverpool and Everton fans sitting beside each other? And that wouldn't be the strongest derby. You know, it, I, apparently it's getting worse now as the years gone by. But like, you know, Celtic Rangers sitting beside each other, or even just the standard Premier League game of like Fulham against Newcastle at Craven Cottage. The idea of um, mixed fans, like, I know, it's mad. So it's one, something to celebrate in GAA. But I, obviously, just look, it's a massive minority that are engaged in this type yeah, of yeah. nonsense. Like, but it's not. Um, you know, when these people who are doing it look back on it in a decade time, I hope they think to themselves, like, what was I at? Like, Constantly. And also massively embarrassed that it's on camera and caught forever. 100%. And it'll never go away, that footage. And, and look, look, the Monaghan Armagh game, I think, kicked through in at 6pm. So by that time, young ones have had a lot of time to yeah, get drink so on board. Yeah, like, but so did we when we were that age. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. That's not your first uh, instinct. No. No, definitely I mean, not. Definitely not. I go through your head, like, but yeah. you're not going to actually do it. Yeah, and Hill 16, it's just one of those cultural but, experiences when you're younger. I guess the the age demographic on Hill 16 is younger because no, it is younger. You but like, um, it's no excuse. Like, and the 
the worry I have is that these people think like this is something brave to do like and something mm. cool and courageous and shows your strength of character like and you'll get patted on the back on Monday morning because yeah. of it but you're not it's helping to- your cardio win it's total like. opposite like yeah it's the most cowardly thing you can do like it's ridiculous and look there, there is rivalry between Monaghan and, Monaghan and Armagh for sure there's and no doubt the rivalry between Kilkenny and Clare as well but I don't even think that that's part of it it's just it's there's, a, there's a few comments coming in about this Shane yeah and like, I'm not surprised by it really you know I, I had a feeling people would be um would have a, a point to make about this like you've never been an issue in rugby like I don't, also don't like the what about of comparing to other sports but I do take the point that you don't see it in certain yeah. sports in certain matches you Usually don't not. but I would have also included GAA in that I haven't until said two that. weeks ago I will say like the Leinster Schools Cup final weren't fans of Ternier College criticised there was damage done to the Aviva Stadium and things like that so there are issues do ha- crop up in all yeah, sports granted yeah, rugby it seems to happen less there's going to be issues there's going to be could be mass crowd trouble at some events but I hate I hate the resorting to violence as uh, as one of the first reactions to something yeah. so, so I wonder how all of these fights are starting presumably something to do with uh, somebody mocking the other team it could be just a cheer, which is nothing like, point, like yeah, quite exuberantly or nothing. something yeah, get over yourself like. basic stuff uh, Michael says the Hill 16 incident is indicative of where society as a whole is too much street violence for social media plaudits it's not a specific Hill 16 issue maybe you're right um, doesn't happen at the tennis quite right Damien <laughs> you wouldn't see that at Wimbledon you don't do you no, that would be a sight you really don't um, uh, Danny Mack maybe the older GA people knew what they were doing by straight knocker no chance for hooliganism to take hold you don't see it at the snooker <laughs> says Barry O'Connor yeah you don't you don't see it at the snooker I have to say no and also um, look the, the point made here and it's true it's not a GA specific problem no it is a societal issue but I you know this has probably been the case throughout the decades but the fact that it's been captured now yeah, highlights it even more. And I hope it continues to be caught on camera. Oh, because, and, be. and like the people are just put out there to actually just embarrass them about what this. And also, like it's going to happen. Someone's going to get seriously hurt. Like, yeah. And how people aren't getting hospitalised or worse. Well, the Claire Kilkenny video that I saw, I, strange, I, I don't like, know if it was the girl that, that your man hit over, but certainly there was a girl with blood running down her forehead and Gardy then getting involved. Yeah. Um, so people are getting hurt. That's the beyond and end all of it. And look, it is a massive... Small minority compared to the, totally, the rest of people. Yeah. yeah, but you'd hate to see it croak. Like you have Dublin and Monaghan fans mingling on on Hill Sixteen this Saturday. Yeah, same on Sunday with Derry and Kerry fans. You just yeah. don't want to see it. Wouldn't you love to have a word with these young lads? Just be like, what are you doing? Like, Arm around the shoulder. You think this yeah. is cool? Like, I don't think they care to be honest. They're just losers ever. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, Cameron Hill is in studio with us now. Oh, as well. hello. This morning, Cameron. How are, how are things? Lake Garda. Lake Garda. Discuss. Ah. Oh. Welcome back. That's where Cameron was. The people were wondering. That's where I was. was the we Garda, home of the Garda. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where they were founded. Well, Tepe Mall yeah, was re, yeah. Re, re, re yeah, yeah. Very after, and then they named Lake Garda in their honour. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Really, really um, going on the continent. You understand, like just the poor selection of weather we had or we have in this country poor selection like a menu right, and it's all very it's all very <laughs> moderate Gen Z, Gen Z it's all very moderate press a button and the weather it's really really warm and then uh, one of the days we had this absolutely kick ass thunderstorm it was incredible oh, I saw it I saw absolutely it brilliant like is the, sorry I would have been a fork lightning man all day but sheet lightning is where it's at. What? We, no, all we is got was sheet. Is we, three, four, or no, what's sheet lightning? Sheet lightning is like fork lightning way up in the air. Yeah. So it just it covers the sky. That's what we used to get in Ireland in the 90s. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Euro came in. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah The Euro yeah. came in. So yeah. It all stopped there. Ruined yeah. it all. Yeah. Yeah. Your Irish cunt lightning anymore. You caught that fork lightning by the storehouse. Oh, I did. Yes. I remember we all thought you caught it uh, then, but then you cheated. Lads, I, I obviously I cheated. Like, So the way to get a great photo of lightning 
fun tip. Take a video, which I did over the Guinness. You Factory, download Photoshop. <laughs> you could do that, mm. but I, I I just took a video and naturally enough, a strike of lightning hit. Then you just pause your video after you've saved it and uh, like scroll along until you see the little bit of lightning. Pause it somewhere. Take a screenshot of that part. Edit it to make it look cool. See, I think that counts. I don't know, man. The artistry's gone. Like, like back, in my, back in my day, people used to capture lightning live. That's what frames are. Do you know? Exactly. Not people are, you got to appreciate the artistry. And I, sat, I sat there for long enough to, to get the good lightning. Do you know? Um, yeah, big thunder lightning fan myself. Yeah. Do you know, we, we actually, I was so bored last night, myself and my housemates. What are you bored so, for? Well, so, sorry, loads, there's, no mid, there's no midweek football. I've got research to do. There but was a massive uh, Wimbledon Wham. match. I could have watched Wham. Wimbledon, Wimbledon was uh, alive and well last night. Taking On fire, off. as the that, kids would say. Do you know, yeah. do you know what I that did? Was lightning. Do you know what I did instead? What did you do? We ranked, power ranked the uh, the bridges of Dublin. <laughs> oh my God, we went man. along the Liffey and we, we were sort of like, we're going to memorise all this. What's your bottom What are you saying this publicly with the light on? Tom Clark is, Tom Clark Bridge is number one. Over Rubbish. beside the three arena. Hapenny Bridge is obviously a, oh, it was, it would, it'd be in the amber in the performance rankings because no, it's, care about it's beautiful with a lot of tourists. Uh, speaking of <laughs> I don't uh, care about this at all. Speaking of the social media capturing yeah. I was minding my own business on social media yesterday I was scrolling through and I um, saw the Camp Nou being demolished. Oh yeah. So Barcelona are playing in the Olympic Stadium next year while their um, stadium gets refurbished. I was actually on to Graham Hunter last night I was asking him is this a big deal in Spain and he said not really there's a video here we're going to play right. uh, of the actual demolition so if you can't see it, it's just the cranes getting to work on the new camp and That's a sad demolishing sense. it before our very eyes. But it will be uh, much improved, we hope, when it comes back. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was one of the iconic stadia in oh, the yeah, world. Sure. And on Friday, uh, the two of us in Ashling spoke about our favourite sporting venues off the back of Claire Balding's statement that mm. Central Court of Wimbledon is the greatest sporting mm. stage in the world. And uh, we got a few, quite a few comments afterwards on that. Yeah. Where does Camp New rate for you? I so I've been to the Camp Nou on one of the the tours as a as a as a youngster. Exactly I, the same as me. Never at a yeah. match. Uh, um, same as, yeah, Emma Carroll's the only one I think of the production team. Yeah. we've been to a game. I feel like you need to have been at a match to really give the, totally, the view. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, as a as a stadium, it's unbelievable. Did like, you say Camp Nou or New Camp? I used to always say New Camp, and, I, and then I realised it's Camp Nou. Yeah, yeah. Have you been? I've been, and I had the chance to go to a Barcelona game back in 2014 because uh, we went on a school tour, an ill-fated school tour to Barcelona and Toulouse. And uh, I won't go into why it was ill-fated right now, but it was ill-fated for me when we went to Barcelona because a load of the lads went to, I think Barcelona were playing Getafe, and it was like an 8-0 win and Messi scored a penalty. And I said, ah, do you know what? I'll probably see Messi plenty of times in my life. And uh, nine years later... That hasn't happened. Time. At least you saw yeah, him score. We need to go uh, OTB Miami to see him now because yeah. I want to see him before he finishes up. I saw Cristiano play when uh, Portugal played Ireland at the Aviva there the yeah. year before last, I think. It was in November 21. Yeah, I saw uh, Ronaldo at the United Old Trafford. But oh, I saw him at Old Trafford too, actually, yeah. Manchester yeah. Derby 20 yeah. years ago, 2003. 20 years ago. Yeah, um, his first season. But uh, yeah, Cam, it's a bit of a shame because Baca Juniors are also doing the same with their stadium. Mm. Um, uh, our previous uh, colleague, Enda Call. Uh, highlighted that for me that like it's again a kind of an iconic stadium that's been changed and homogenised like everyone else and look this like you look at Atletico Madrid's new stadium it's incredible Bayern yeah. Munich's upgrade is unbelievable Tottenham Hotspur Stadium like I've been it's on that yeah. stadium is it's on amazing. it's such like a day out like it's like a festival <laughs> and the football's almost on the side so like objectively facilities are improving a bit like footballers the, the level of football now is at an all time high but what you do sacrifice is the romanticism of it like yeah oh yeah what makes these grounds unique and that's you know we're, I know how long uh, League of Ireland fans have been waiting for any sort of revamp to their stadium but 
if it comes one day, I hope that they maintain some of the identity of, say, a Daily Mount or a Talca or yeah. Richmond Park. I, I do think it will go around in circles and I do think that will become an issue and I'd say the new generation of architects and designers coming through will be like, we need to stand out a bit and and have a bit of character about us. So hopefully it will go the other way. But it seems like every city around the world has been kind of Celtic tigered to death, like where yeah, it's funny, like the best yeah. of everything. Funny you should mention, FBL Rubber Ducky says that street sheet lightning was a creation of the Celtic tiger, which yeah. you didn't know. So, so it was pre, pre-Euro. Freddie McCreevy, huh? Pre, it was pre-Euro then maybe the sheet lightning came in. Yeah, yeah. it was Minister yeah, of the Post-Euro, January 1st, 2002. They launched it. Yeah, very it's good. Great. Yeah. yeah. Love that. This is the perfect comment, Cameron. Oh. Makes so much sense. See Bracken, love how Colm reigns in anyone who goes off on a tangent, <laughs> a- a- a.k.a. me talking about bridges, <laughs> but spends five minutes talking about Wham. Wham. That is perfect. Wham is in the news. All I wanted to do was mention bridges. I was like, move on. Move on. Wham, Wham is in the news. Let us know in your comments. Wham, your, we saw the bridge? audience decline. Oh, the that bridge was good. What's the, your favourite bridge? The going downhill. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Sam Beckett bridge open? The witch, <laughs> Sam Beckett Bridge. Yeah. That's up there, by the way. Sam Beckett is one but of the. But have you ever bridges. seen it open? Rosie Hackett's another decent bridge. Because there was a thing for years that they couldn't mm. find the key for it. All right. Like they didn't know where the key was to open Sam Beckett <laughs> Bridge. That's, so that's never a bridge. That's, good. that's how you do a bridge story. Oh, yeah. They couldn't find the key for the bridge. That's funny. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like more to Cameron, we say. Um, I do want to mention before we Stanford Bridge, by the way, Robert Duffy <laughs> because says, <laughs> that's not because it yeah. is. Uh, it's an important uh, or a big uh, sporting birthday today. And just before we get oh, to that, it's Matt, not my birthday. Matt Doherty, <laughs> Matt Doherty re-signing for Wolves broke uh, the news broke last night. Talk Sport reported about ten p.m. What do you make of that? Oh, he needs to play football. He, well, yeah, how many minutes did he play at a level? Eighteen in total. That was, so literally one one appearance was it or two? He came on twice, on so twice. I think it was fourteen and four. Open to correction on that, but it was very, very little anyway. Strange. And I remember in the office at the time, were you there that day when it was on Breaking News and Sky Sports News and we were all like, you know, the one TV in the office and we were all like, Matt Darty to a Letico. And we all had to reread it to each other to make sure that this is true. And we were all super excited. And I think his, his, the the game where he appeared most, which is about 16 minutes, I think, off the bench, was relatively early. Yeah. So the the signs were good, like, yeah. and then I'd be on the live score app every time Letico played, and it would be Doherty number twelve on you sub. Yeah. Every single like he was making the bench at least, but at the same time was going nowhere near the pitch. At least you so, can say he played in La Liga. Yeah, he did exactly. Um, it's a bit like when was it Steve Finnan went to Espanyol and Ian Hart went to Levante, but I think Hart to Levante actually was, was pretty successful. I, I think used he to follow a, Levante. Played a fair games bit. as a result yeah, of yeah. there. I don't think Finnan played too much at Espanyol. No. Um, but it's an awful shame for him. But at the same time, look, Wolves is where he stood out. That's and right. I, I hope Julian Lepetegui gets the best out of him. Well, absolutely. With Nathan Collins gone now, uh, Lepetegui has a, an Irish defender-shaped hole on his bench. That's true. So he, he needs to fill that. Yeah. Steve Finnan played four times for Espanyol. Yeah. Four times. That was another January transfer. 08-09 to I remember season. that. Yeah. Uh, Levante, meanwhile, for Ian Hart, was slightly more successful, as he said. 04 to 07 uh, just after he left Leeds and before he went to Sunderland so 66 games for Levante and 10 goals oh yeah brilliant yeah what a not player bad, probably underappreciated a little by us isn't it Ian Hart don't talk about him enough Jesus yeah, set yeah. piece master like at Leeds brilliant brilliant, brilliant fullback brilliant fullback um, really outstanding and uh, just one more anniversary too on this day 2010 yep. the World Cup final the Netherlands against Spain Andres Iniesta 116th minute to win it just before penalties Arjen Robin at 0-0 true 1-1 on one with Iker Casillas I'd say he still thinks about it 13 years ago today. Absolutely Do you remember it? Absolutely awful. Yeah. One of the worst yeah. I've ever the seen. The Vuvuzelas were too dominant to do anything. But it wasn't as bad as... Uh, Nicola Muani's 
Emmy Martinez's save from Colin Moani in the most recent World Cup final before Christmas. That was a mo- is that a more iconic save? Oh no, that's interesting that you think it like that. Yeah, because I would say you're totally correct that that's an iconic save. That would have won the World Cup. Yeah, but I thought Rick Robin had all day long to finish it, which is, by the way, not necessarily a positive when you have that much time to think. But that was <coughs> peak Robin. Like I yeah. think three months earlier, he had knocked Manchester United out of the Champions League with Bayern at Old Trafford, a volley from a corner, like yeah. supreme player. Uh, but see, this is the guardie, the guardie from Lake Garda, Colin Cameron, like, bridge owners of Dublin Colony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us what know your favourite bridge. The, uh, but anyway, I never forget that one on one miss. <laughs> that was. And I'm hoping that he would miss because I love that Spain team and I wanted him to win the World Cup. Yeah, and so yeah. they did. Really there's no, uh, there's no Johnny Sexton Bridge. There are Liam Mellows Bridge, Grattan Bridge, Hepney Bridge. Colin's loving this. O'Connell Bridge, Millennium Bridge. Let us know your favourite Dublin bridges, or generally speaking. <laughs> Your favourite bridges. What makes a good bridge? Ian Hart had a better free kick conversion rate than Beckham. Yeah, it's a good bridge. There's a great four, uh, a great three four three game at Ellen Road that he scores I against recall, United. I recall. And Beckham runs half the pitch and, and passes. Four thousand goals. Yeah, oh one oh two. Yeah, March two thousand and two. My father's fiftieth birthday that day. How do you remember that? I have a memory of certain things. I was going to say that's. It's weird. I I wouldn't remember yesterday what we did in the show, but I remember those things. Very specific, isn't it, mad, Isn't it? That's very specific. Come here, lads. Uh, we must do this. Yeah, Johnny Sexton's birthday today. Yeah, it is. Happy birthday. Thirty-eight Johnny years Sexton. of age. If you're watching. Thirty-eight. Let me watch him. Thoughts. <laughs> well, no, I Decent mean, player. Decent I, player. I do. It is interesting because happy um, birthday, by do, the way, Johnny. Do we take him slightly for granted? So, when, like, obviously, we cover a lot of rugby on the show, and. Um, it's where people are what, what they want to hear and no matter when what time of year it is people want to hear about their rugby and we always just kind of breeze over sex and his brilliance because we all assume it's just what well, it's kind of a bit dull because everyone knows what much, how much of a legend he is yeah. but these are the type of players that you actually do need to hone in on and be like hold on he's generational yeah. from the moment he uh, got, went in there and took Ron Logara out of the team he's never looked back yeah. he's the one player that when I ask um, fans from abroad they all really dislike him, but they'd all put him in their team straight away. The ultimate sign of respect. Ultimate like. sign of respect because they're like in France, they really don't like him. <laughs> Even after his two years. Oh, especially after his two years. Uh, yeah. So they, for context, uh, Cameron lived and worked in France. I did. So this is yes. uh, this yeah. is good yeah. knowledge here. Mm. So why is that? Why, what's the vibe and why? I don't. They there's definitely a feeling he didn't really take Racing all that seriously, and he's even mentioned himself that if he could have spent his whole career at Leinster he would have and mm. maybe that Racing mightn't have been the greatest idea but um, yeah they're just they don't they don't necessarily like his uh, his back chat to the referee uh, <laughs> more on that tomorrow I guess but yeah everyone's really jealous of the fact that we have this generational talent this world class player probably uh, I don't know would you say he's probably Ireland's greatest ever rugby player at this point yeah I mean it's uh it's him and Brian O'Driscoll, I think, is the debate. And I think if Sexton keeps going and if he does come back and does appear and does something productive yeah. in the World Cup, that might tip him over the edge ahead of O'Driscoll. Mm. It's hard to know. I suppose it depends where you are in your life, what age you are. Yeah. Like, I grew up with O'Driscoll and the hat-trick in France and I remember that vividly and all his great moments and how, a bit like what Cameron was saying, like how the world viewed him was the highest respect. Mm. And like O'Driscoll, even the peak of the All Blacks in the noughties, like you'd argue that O'Driscoll could have played second centre. If O'Driscoll burst onto the scene more well, than, that, than well, I think Well, I, no, I, I think, sex, I think, yeah, sex, I think Sexton was like, who's this kid? Like, But I mean, in terms of a one-game, oh-my-God moment. Well, he announced him, said that, because uh, we have a fact file here, but I remember vividly that 2011 
um, Heineken Cup final where he scored 28 points and basically won the game for Leinster when they were 25-6 down is incredible yeah and um, you know I, I don't think well maybe Leinster fans go on about it but as an Irish public we don't talk about that enough no we <laughs> like don't he basically pulled them uh, dragged them over the line for their second ever Heineken Cup it's incredible yeah and that's the, that, that is his 2000 in Paris moment yeah that's true and I, I I just will never forget like coming on for Felipe Cantapomi as a young fella yeah that was that's true and then just uh, single handedly taking the game by the Stratford's neck here's how long he's been playing his debut was against a team called the Border Reavers from Scotland who don't exist anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah you know your well, old man longevity is incredible and it's rare you see it's bit, it's Novak Djokovic actually be similar in tennis that he's actually improving <laughs> he gets older the age. similar hairstyle which is uh, yeah. a similar mentality I would say in terms of backs against the wall everyone's out to get us and therefore I'll show you and he has mm-hmm. done consistently because he does have Sexton does seem to get off on having a point to prove I mean it's, it's so hard to believe he was left out of the Lions tour isn't it ah madness yeah. complete madness it's, it's incredible back, like. and, and then his reaction to being dropped two years ago yeah. to being left out mm. and how brilliant he has been right up until the England game at the recent Six Nations. Yeah, Jesus. Just how excellent he's been and how reliant Ireland have been in the 10 jersey mm. for Sexton. In in late winter and early spring on this show, what we talk about when it comes to rugby, what's the plan to replace Sexton? Yeah. We, and we would we would put it to Ron Logara himself and there wouldn't really be a definitive answer. No. There'd be a few candidates, but yeah, there's, no, there's not going to be another Sexton. And this could be the last birthday he has as an, you know, as an, sorry, it will be the last birthday he has as an active rugby player. Okay. And it's important Glad to note that. that sentence. It's important to note that before he does pack it in because we'll do loads of tributes to him when he's finished. But hopefully we get just a little bit more out of him. And what happens this later this year or in a few months uh, will dictate the legacy, I guess. Well, no, it, sorry, it won't dictate the legacy, but it will no, no, it cherry won't. on top. I, look, he could have a, a disastrous display or may not even appear. I, it won't change Still anything it won't, career, it's yeah. the cherry on the cake I think yeah. if he yeah. does I think anything whatever the story of this World Cup it will be a story about Sexton as well like even if he's not there it'll be all the more important um, we get a lot of comments in about a particular topic Colm you're not going to like this but um, the bridges have taken off uh, how many arches Shane? See, are you a one span man? I, 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 lo- like, I love the, the Mary McAleese Point Valley Bridge Okay. Just uh, west of Drogheda has a particular, you know, it's on the M1, it's on the road home to Monaghan. So I, I really love it from a, I guess, personal point of view. Um, similarly, Seabracken says Joe Dolan Bridge. Not much going on aesthetically, but apparently the longest bridge in Ireland, which is 540 metres long and 14 metres wide in Ballandary County, Westmeath. Unf- I was unfamiliar that there was a bridge named after uh, Joe Dolan, I have to say. Slane Bridge, iconic, says Owen. Um, Sexton needs a bridge named after him says Robert Ducky I don't know if there are any are there any bridges named after Irish sports people presumably there is I mean, technically Sam Beckett was an Irish sports person true Connor says shaky bridge in Cork yeah it's really good where's that um, <laughs> it's in Cork I uh, I like uh, bridges and songs and movies with Le- the word bridge I, I would like that that would be good yeah well, what, what songs have bridge in them not the bridge of a song or oh, the bridge of a song oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Bridge over trouble the water yeah it's a great song I love that yeah. go on there look what, look what's in front of you there what's very exciting there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very exciting uh, move on from bridges keep the bridge comments coming in just to piss off Colin this morning thanks very much on the YouTube channel let us know all about bridges ah Jim Sullivan Jim Sullivan Jim, Jim Sullivan. Sullivan what a man what's he said comes to the rescue this discussion is a bridge too far good that's, man that's great segue good. let's that's get out of here back it up let's get out of here perfect way to end on that note five past eight on this Tuesday mornings OWM thank you Cameron thank you as per usual
usual. Um, and uh, put your phone on silent next time <laughs> the guards call. <laughs> I love Excellent. it. Uh, don't miss, by the way, all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. Get your favourite local restaurants delivered to your door with Deliveroo. Just open up the app, browse some great offers, take your pick, and they will take care of the rest. Deliveroo food, we get it. After the break, we'll have Daniel Harris talking Manchester United. First, though, Rory O'Connor talking with Richie McCormick last night on the Irish Under-20s star Sam Prendergast. He's just young. I don't think. Like, I, I think he's going to be, you know, a, a superstar. I think he's got everything it takes. If he, if he can stay injury free and he keeps on the same trajectory, you know, you look across this tournament and if you watch the games that are that are taking place between other teams, there's, mm. he's the best ten in the tournament from what I've seen. Even though there have been patchy moments, there was goal kicks that went astray earlier in the tournament. There was the odd decision that's gone astray, the odd the odd kick to, to touch that wasn't right on the money. But like, we're we're we're, we're probably applying much higher standards to what were to him than because of what he's done in the past year and on Saturday or sorry yesterday there was none of really that I mean he he was no perfect in terms of his goal kicking his decision making was very good he knew when to kick he knew he knew when to pass his passing was very good he he runs he's very physical as well he's not shy I mean his brother's an international back row I guess so we shouldn't be surprised he's not a small he's not a small guy but he's he's well able to mix it as well he's he's the full package he's so calm he's unflappable when he makes one of those those mistakes as he's going to because he's 19 or 20 years old he never seems to be bothered by it he just gets up and goes again um, he looks like he has all of the tools to go to, to go and do it and he, to have him in Ireland's corner going into this game against a high quality French team on Friday mm. is a massive asset because within, in, in a moment he can just flick a switch and the game is the game is wide open again and you know it was his kick to beat France in the last last couple of minutes back in in February during the Six Nations so um, they know that he has that clutch stuff in him and there's a lot of the basics that he's really good at as well his line kicking has been really good in terms of getting Ireland into the position for malls and they scored off the back of a lot of those malls you know just the little details that that may come together to make a really high quality out half are all there and if he doesn't always put it together, that's just because he's still there. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Eight minutes past eight on this Tuesday morning's OTB AM, <laughs> the Sports Breakfast Show on Off the Ball with myself and Colin Boohey, the voice you heard in the background there, the producer. Brilliant comment in on the YouTube from Dara Hannan. Yes, that is my brother, Colin. Tuning in from a bus from Ha Long to Hanoi in Vietnam. Shout out to the brother who was watching in probably the most exotic location. This morning, and the other, the two Jamies, Jamie Smith and Fanning, probably with him, I'd imagine as well, and a couple of other lads having a great, having the time of their lives. A lot of good bridges over there as well. Michael says, by the way, Cullum, concept pitch, OTB kick fodder competition for All Ireland final weekend. A rep from each county have to foot pass across and needs to be caught to complete across the Liffey. Would be some crack. Oh, we might have got an idea here. Sorry, Daniel Harris, we'll get to you in a second. Mm-hmm. Jenny Claffey, we've challenged her to a tennis match. Oh, yeah. She sent the group a voice note, and we're going to play. What Jenny said to us. Right. Interesting. It's very exciting. Us. Speaking of challenges. Yes. Nine minutes past eight on this morning's Tuesday's uh, OTB AM. And I did to say, Daniel Harris is with us on this morning's show. Morning, Daniel. How are things? Hello. Good, thanks. How's it going? Thanks for your patience there. Uh, we're, we've loads to get into, I guess, with Manchester United. I'm not sure where to start, but I might just start with, uh, with David De Gea. Um, end of an era at Manchester United. And I guess expected at the end of this season. He was on a, a, a serious amount of money. Um, Sad for United fans all the same, and, and maybe sad the way in which it's been handled by the club. Is that fair? Uh, not really, I don't think. In that, if you look at it, 
he's he's had to probably be a bit longer than he should have done because the rest of the team needed so much work that he had to be something that was addressed later. And I actually think there's probably a chance that Ten Hag thought that he might give De Gea one more year and then address the goalkeeping situation next summer. But the behaviour in the run-in was so poor that he had to do something about it. And I don't think that he David De Gea can complain. He's not been really good for quite a long time now. And it's actually pleasing to see some ruthlessness. Because if you look at it from Ten Hag's point of view, he couldn't drop De Gea in his opinion last season because he still needed him. So they had to make like there was going to be a contract offer even if there wasn't because they had to get the best performances out of him that they could. Then when the performances weren't good enough, I guess the managers just had enough. And that's how top-level sport is, It's it or should be. It's ruthless. And David De Gea hasn't earned Eric Ten Hag's loyalty so he didn't get it. And I don't feel particularly bad from him. The guys earned tens of millions of pounds out of whatever it is out of Man United over the years. Uh, he was good for some of that time. He was not good for some of that time. And the time has come to get someone different because the way that he keeps goal was holding the team back. And I think the frustration for me with him will always be that the things he seemed to refuse to get better at feel like things that goalkeepers can get better at, as in you can't make your reactions very much quicker, for example, and he had the greatest reactions of any goalkeeper I've ever seen by far. But surely you can get better at coming for crosses, at controlling your defence, at commanding the box, at pushing the defensive line forward, and he just refused to really do anything apart from make reaction saves on his goal line. Now, Daniel, not to get too sentimental about multimillionaires, but is it a bit of a sad ending after 12 years? It's a social media post that David De Gea has left the club after contract negotiations end and there's no offer of a new contract. Because if you look back and throughout his whole United career, so you'll remember the, his debut in the Community Shield in the Manchester Derby, Ellen Zeckel's shot from distance, squirmed under his body, and subsequently Wayne Rooney's talked about, and Gary Neville said, they didn't think this guy was going to make it. He was too skinny. He was too slight. But then over the preceding decade, like the middle of the last decade under Louis van Gaal and then Jose Mourinho, like David De Gea was United's best player consistently. 2017-18, I think he had the record for the most number of saves in a game away to Arsenal. Even last season, he kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League, which is the second time he's done that. But for you, you highlighted his, his weaknesses there and his strengths. What do you think his legacy is going to be at United? Or to put it another way, what do you think of De Gea? Um, I, I, he seems like a good guy. Um, I find, as I said, I find him a frustration. And having been good under Van Gaal, United's best player under Van Gaal, is, I don't know, Janino's taller than Danny DeVito, whatever. It's not, it's to low standard. Uh, but he said that to yeah. do it. He said that to yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, and, but what, what, what was he actually doing that was good? It was the same thing he's always done. Those brilliant reaction saves, a few good one-on-one saves. And it, obviously United would have been much worse off without it, but he wasn't as good a goalkeeper as... Edwin van der Sar or Peter Schmeichel. He wasn't as reliable as van der Sar. He didn't make as many match-defining saves as Schmeichel. He didn't offer as much in an attacking sense as Schmeichel either. So I think I think that he was. He seemed like a good guy. He was... i tell you what I liked about De Gea mm-hmm. is that he was quite good fun to watch. And that's quite unusual for a goalkeeper. Just because the speed of his movements, the speed of his reactions were just mind-blowing. And that that's, I guess, what I'll remember. That if we're looking talking about the good stuff is is the speed of the reactions but in terms of overall as a goalkeeper there were too many holes in his game and as I said his refusal to try and stitch up some of those holes or his apparent refusal and I totally understand how that can happen that if you think that for quite a number of years 
he was probably the only really top level player in the team. He had no one pushing him for his place and he was playing in the team that wasn't challenging for trophies. Then you can see how you might go stale in that situation, particularly if you were meant to go to Real Madrid and then because of a dodgy fax machine, you didn't. But it felt like he went stale for a bit as well. And I personally would have got rid of him in the first season of Solskjaer's manager. United were trying to get into the Champions League and he was rubbish at the end of the season and they didn't. And I guess personally, that was that was when I felt like it was time to make a change. I can understand why there was no change made, because as I said, the team needed so much work that if you've got a goalkeeper who's more or less stopping the ball going in the net, then you would say, well, you can work with that. But what you mentioned about the, the highest number of clean sheets, he had the highest number of clean sheets last season because in front of him he had Varane, Lissandro Martinez and Casemiro. Yeah, but not all the time. Um, enough. Of, I, I don't look back at that season and think David De Gea had a brilliant season, whereas I do look back at it and think Lissandro Martinez had a brilliant no, season. No, I, I agree Shaw, with that. I agree with that. Luke Shaw had an excellent season. and the, 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 So the clean sheets is a misnomer because really it's almost it's the whole team that if the ball's down... like for. Pep Guardiola's teams until this City team are a good example of that. They've always kept loads of clean sheets, conceded very few goals. It's not because the defenders and the keepers are particularly good at that. It's because you can't get the ball. So what I'm saying is that particular statistic doesn't necessarily tell you about how good the goalkeepers played. And having said all that, when that transfer to Real Madrid looked like it was going to go through until the fax machine broke or whatever happened, do you remember what your feeling was then? Were you distraught at the idea of De Gea leaving? I don't think I'd ever be distraught at the idea of a player leaving and that players come and go and it's not the uh, and I've seen much better players come and go than than David De Gea and also I guess at some level you perhaps form less attachment to goalkeepers I'm not sure but what United need now is first of all I mean they need someone who's not going to let him pee rollers as he did at West Ham and against Manchester City in the cup final and I'm sure the cup final would have been the absolute final straw for Ten Hag I mean I know it was for me where I'm thinking as a, just thinking purely as a supporter, I'd happily never clap eyes on you in the United shirt ever again for that. <laughs> to, to let in a goal like that, when you fought your way back into a cup final that's also a local derby and with the treble still on the table, that, that to me, I totally understand why the goalkeeper has, why the manager has had enough of that. And it's actually about time that there was some ruthlessness and it looks like that's extending to Harry Maguire too, where you can see the kind of briefings that are coming out suggest that the pieces are being moved to get him out of the club as well so that they not because he's a bad person to have around but they need the money to go do other things with it rather than just keep a fourth choice fifth choice centre back Yeah he was the last remaining player that had played for United under Alex Ferguson uh, at the club as well feels like that 4-0 defeat to Brentford back in August was a turning point in some ways for his future and the distribution of course this season uh, shot stopping was never really a concern but the distribution certainly from feet was was maybe an issue. I know that this is a, a subjective question, Daniel, but where does he rank in terms of United's, United's goalkeepers? I guess Schmeichel and Vatersar were there for, for shorter periods and yet probably still still shaded for most United supporters. Oh, they're miles better than him. I mean, Van, Van der Sar, it, different goalkeepers for different times, I guess. What's interesting about Schmeichel is when you watch old, old United recordings back, you see that Schmeichel, I mean, I kind of remember it from the time too, but he made quite a lot of mistakes, Schmeichel. Yeah. But... He just saved you on so many occasions that you would accept the mistakes. And I think that was, I guess, probably the goalkeeper United needed at that time. Because if you look at the first Fergie team, the the weakness, even though they were good players, was was the defence. Parker Bruce, Pallister, Irwin, that wasn't as high a level as Ince and Keane in front of them, say, or 
uh, Cantona and Hughes. And when you look at what that team's weak point was, and for all the foreigners rule that stopped that team doing well in Europe, and also just because they'd come back into Europe and football had sneakily progressed without the English clubs, the weakness of that of that team, I would say, was 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 the was the defence. And then if you look at the treble winning team, also. Um, the weakness of that team wasn't the defence. It was a good defence. It was just the way that they attacked meant that they were staying man for man at the back, meant that the goalkeeper had quite a lot of work to do. So I think in that team, a goalkeeper who was able to do what Schmeichel did, whilst also reinventing how teams counter-attack because of how quickly he could get the ball from one end to the other, was made Schmeichel really special. And the thing with van der Sar was van der Sar played behind what I would say is United's greatest ever defence. And that defence... they. I can't remember that many brilliant games Van der Sar had or that many brilliant saves Van der Sar made. I remember one really important game against Fulham in 06-07 where without Van der Sar they lose that game. But I can't think of very many others at all. But what I also can't think of with Van der Sar is very many mistakes. And that's mm. what that particular team needed. It, when it had a de- The defence was so good and the team itself was so good that you just needed a goalkeeper who would be solid, who would control the defence, who the defenders felt confident playing in front of and obviously who who would be able to uh, save Nicholas and Helka's penalty was also quite helpful. But just speaking more generally than that, whereas De Gea, the thing with him was we, ha- we have loads of loads of amazing saves, but you could tell the players, the defenders, did not enjoy playing in front of him because he kept goal like a, like a table football goalkeeper. He just moved side to side on the goal line and try and stop stuff with his feet, where he would never... I remember there was a moment in the cup final where a cross comes in and it's kind of going near post and he just doesn't come. And it's six-yard box territory. And in the end, uh, Varane has to get rid of it. But the goal, you could see that the players didn't like playing with him. And when we talk about the ability to play with feet, that is helpful. Um, and it's becoming more, more, more important. But um, a coach once told a friend of mine that in order for it to really make a difference, ability with feet, you've got to be as good as Edison. And very few people are. But number one, the guy who looks like he's coming in, Andrea Nana, is that good. It's like having an extra man in the build-up. But also De Gea's, the thing about De Gea, I think, that made the most difference wasn't the fact that he couldn't play mate from the back. It was that he, he was so deep that the rest of the team had to play 10 yards deeper that made it harder to work the ball up the pitch. And it was more it was more that that you generally, ideally, you're trying to condense the play. You want as little space as possible between the lines. And having De Gea meant that you had to have much more space in behind than you would want. And it made it much easier for opponents to put balls in behind. So to put United under pressure and to stop United building pressure. And I think that will be the biggest difference, how high the team are able to play once it's Anana in net rather than De Gea. Concerning news about Edwin van der Sar too last Friday. Mm. About all that. The thing about uh, Peter Schmeichel is he kind of made mistakes almost look good. There was one against Barnsley, I think, at Old Trafford, 1997-98. He goes to va- he goes, it, no? no, he goes to volley it out. It's on the bounce and he goes to volley clear it and he totally slices it. <laughs> and Barnsley score from it but he actually nearly gets back in time to stop it but there was something about it was even his authority there um, Daniel I was on, in the shops on Saturday minding my own business and I looked over and I saw a guy wearing a Manchester United jersey from last season with Jones number 4 on the back now oh. I assumed it was sarcastic or a bet or something his name was Jones maybe he's another player who's gone after a long time at the club did you have high hopes for him when he first came in, the famous comparison with Duncan Edwards, like, is he very unfairly treated and maligned because of his un- unfortunate facial expressions when clearing the ball? Or was he actually a good player for you? I mean, that's just sort of football culture, isn't yeah. it? That people people take the piss out of each other and it's very easy to understand why that happened to Phil Jones. But yeah, I feel I feel sorry for him that his career worked out in the way that it did. 
because it looked, I mean, United in the first instance, they didn't really want to sign him. They were trying to sign Varane and Varane went to Madrid. Mm-hmm. So they signed Jones instead. And he did, he did start well, but like a lot of players, him, um, him and Welbeck, I would say in particular, really suffered from Fergie retiring. But Jones obviously also suffered from injury. And whilst it's hard to feel too sorry for a multimillionaire who's won the league title playing for Man United, that's 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 not bad. I think that we'd all probably take that. The frustration. I remember I, it's something I saw Mario Berrettini was saying the other day, the tennis player, that he spent just days crying in bed because mm. he couldn't compete. And not, we, guys like us, we cannot understand the frustration that it must feel that where you've got these lads who've sacrificed their youth, sacrificed everything to be footballers. And yes, they are handsomely rewarded and they have fame and money and a lovely life. If you can't compete, mm. the, the the pain that you must feel, the frustration, the the threat, the way that must threaten your mental health to just like constantly be rehabbing and going into training to rehab and watching the other boys be in the other dressing room away from you and, and go out to play and go through that constantly over and over again you could understand like how that how much that must hurt so whilst on the one hand I feel like Phil Jones did pretty well and yeah I did think he was going to be a better player than he turned out to be he wasn't really able to be that much of a better player just because of the the constant injuries plus all the upheaval that was going on around him at United but the last time he played for United he played that play one he played last season didn't he he played one game and he played well he wasn't he became a meme or a joke because of, as you say, the facial expressions and some unfortunate incidents, particularly in derbies. But yeah, Phil Jones could have could have been a good player and he wasn't. But at the same time, he's probably had an all right shake of life at the same time. Um, Daniel, David Beckham, Brian Robson, Eric Cantona, George Best, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Mount, all players who have now worn the number seven jersey for Manchester United or will certainly once Mount uh, gets the season underway. What do you make of this this Mount signing? And I, I guess how exactly and for whom exactly does he fit into this United team? Uh, I think he, Mason Mount's a player. I guess I've always admired but never coveted. Um, managers love him because he follows instructions. You know what they they know that if they tell him to do something, he'll understand it and he'll do it in the right way. Um, he feels. I always thought that United needed someone instead of Christian Eriksen because Eriksen's lack of physical ability, whether strength or speed or power, was hampering the ability to control games. Eriksen still be good next season. Someone you'd bring on with 20 minutes to go in games you're trying to see out and keep the ball. He's also someone you would think be good when against teams who are defending deep, so worse teams at home. But... I would have probably gone for a different kind of player to Mason Mount because I don't want a situation where a knock to Casemiro or a suspension to Casemiro means that you're back to the same old. You don't have a player for that. And although it does seem that United are trying to sign, are trying to sell enough players to sign Sofian Amrabat a bit later in the transfer window, I think I would have gone for the best possible player I could get who could play either with Casemiro or instead of Casemiro. And for that, I would have wanted someone with a bit more physical power who was a bit more of a ball carrier. But I can totally understand that Mason Mount is someone with a good temperament who's shown he can perform in League, who can perform in big games, who is excellent at dead balls, who has a good range of passing, who can score goals, all of those things. I just think that the player that I was personally looking for would have been someone who was a bit more a bit more physical as well, and also I would I think I wonder if Mason Mount is 
quite good enough. As in, he's a he's a high, he's a high level player. Is he as good a player as the best players in the team? I don't think so. And I felt like United needed another team of that standard. But he's 24, and Ten Hag obviously thinks he can improve him. So I'm excited to see how he does. Who else should um, Eric Ten Hag sign this summer? Or more to the point, what position should he prioritise? Well, it, look, it looks like we've, Mason Mount's obviously been signed. It looks like Onana is going to happen. So that's the goalkeeper sorted. The centre-forward situation, it, it actually feels, and I, I, I bulk at saying this a little bit, so I understand this. I'm about to make myself sound ridiculous. So well, feel free to come back to me later on if I do. But it feels like there's some actual competence being practised here in that they're going one at a time. So they identified Mason Mount. They waited until they knew that they weren't going to get a better price than the price that they had, having pretended that they were going to go away. And then they signed him. And they now appear to be doing that with Onana, that they've decided he's the goalkeeper. It feels like they're obviously going to sign him. They're just trying to make sure that they don't get rinsed over the, month, over the price. And when they've signed Onana, it looks like they're going to move on and sign Hoyland, who by most accounts they have signed up a deal for. So, I mean, Hoyland is a difficult one in that they want a centre-forward who's ready to go now. There aren't very many centre-forwards in world football who are ready to go now who would be worth the kind of money that you would have to pay for them. So they're trying to identify the next the next big thing. It may or may not be Hoyland. I haven't seen very much of him, but I like his movement. He's obviously extremely quick. And one of the things I like about him is also he makes is that is the, the runs in behind because Bruno Fernandes, I think, was top of the top of the league for expected assists, but nowhere near for actual assists because he hasn't played with anyone who's able to finish well. And if you stick almost any kind of striker in that position who can hold the ball up and make runs in behind, you should get another 10 to 15 goals. And that'll make a very significant difference to United. And my guess is those three will be the three that United signed to begin with. I wouldn't be surprised if they were if they were able to get Harry Kane if they had money to get Harry Kane just for particularly that player. But otherwise, I imagine that they'll sell who they can and who they buy will then depend on that. But it looks like the physical midfielder I just talked about, they want to be Sofian Amrabat and he will be the next player that gets signed once they've sold, say, Dean Henderson and Harry Maguire and Fred or whoever it is, however much they need to, however many players they need to sell to get the next player. And I would imagine after Amrabat, the next player would be a right back. And there is quite a lot of money in that squad. If you think about players who, who they don't want, Fred, um, McTominay, if they got a good price for him, they'd sell. Maguire, Van der Beek, Langer, Henderson. Henderson, they're going to get 20 million quid for. But even the other players, if you've got 5 million quid each for all of those, that's again another player. And it won't be 5 million each. So I think that United should be able, if they continue this apparent competence, to sign the player that they Mason Mount, uh, Hoyland and um, uh, Hoyland and Onana looks like are going to happen. And then I would expect that if they sell properly, they should be able to get two more players after that. And yeah. at that point, it will be Eric Ten Hag's team. Yeah. And there'll be no excuses. Not that we've got excuses for him last season, but I don't know if we can expect a title challenge next season, but we can expect some improvement and a, definitely a title challenge the season after that. But otherwise, you, you just don't know because it, I think for United to challenge the title next season, they'll need Hoyland to step up at another a level, a level or two. And I've no idea if he's capable of doing that. But they should be much better anyway because Gonacho is going to be much better next season. So mm. even if Hoyland needs a season to acclimatise, 
you're going to have a Garnacho a year older on the left, which means you can play Rashford through the middle. And just in terms of having Mount you, and Anana, you're going to have more of the ball. So you'd expect to be able to be more dynamic in attack and more unpredictable in attack than before. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the United transfer situation. 11pm Friday, September 1st is when the deadline uh, ends. Daniel, great stuff as always. Thanks a million for joining us. See you and see you. Daniel Harris there on the line. 8.30am on this Tuesday morning's O2BAM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Myself and Colin Boohig with you through until 10 o'clock this morning. Delighted to say Jenny Claffey joins us in studio now as well. Morning, Jenny. Good morning, guys. How are we? Jenny, hello. Keeping well. Hello. Keeping well. <laughs> I'm hearing, I'm hearing rumours left, right and centre of these challenge, I, I, <laughs> challenges between... I, I don't know who, who's involved here. I don't know what's involved. I don't know what, what, what sport oh, we're even very playing. very simple. Is it paddle? Is it tennis? The challenge is clear and direct. Right. All Talk parties understand it. it. So, for people who are just tuning in, yeah. Jenny here represented Ireland at the European Games in paddle. Mm-hmm. You know, incredible. Incredible talent yeah. to transfer from tennis to paddle. So, Adrian Barry totally separately mentioned the idea of him and I playing paddle. Then Jenny told us you have to play doubles. So, Jenny's going to play with me and Adrian plus another. Okay. Now, Ashley O'Reilly put up her hand. Shane Hannan has put up his hand. Well, Jenny can also recruit her friends, but they'll be too good. That's one challenge. Would that not make it more fair, though? Because then Jenny... Uh, Fairer, Jenny, Jenny, and her mate can go on different Up, teams. Side. Yeah, I'll be with Jenny. Then there's a good yeah. player. With. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, her th- mate might be very good I as think well. Her friend Susan can be with um, Adrian. Your this is this Susan. is Susan, your doubles partner. Yeah. CGC Column is just seeing himself up there to be on the winning side. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I thought this was going to be Jenny versus Column. I can't believe we're sitting beside each other here. That, so that side, that <laughs> yeah. was one challenge, and then the other one was straight up tennis, one on one. I thought the, I thought the whole idea of all these challenges was you taking on Jenny in a challenge. It wasn't you getting to play with the international athlete. Like, what's the fun in that? I thought there's one of two challenges. That's we'd, the we'd all love to play football with Lionel Messi on our team, wouldn't we? But like, <laughs> you just called your Messi. I'll take that. I'd walk away now if I was you. You I'd haven't seen me play football. Come down in the morning there. <laughs> um, that's one challenge, and then the other one, as Emma Carroll has just said to us here in yeah. the live doc. No, 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 no. The Friday chat was about tennis, but one on one with Jenny. You taking on Jenny in tennis? Yeah. Which, what's the point of that? What do you mean? What's the point? Well, what's that? the point in you? There's a reason. I said to Jenny, if I can win one point off you, one point, it's a big deal, right? So anyway, there was a gathering on Friday yeah. for Kathleen McNamee, who was watching at the moment in Brisbane having her dinner. Good morning, Kathleen. Hello, Kathleen. Good afternoon. Good, good night. You arrived well. Time it is, yeah. uh, Shane, of course, you weren't there because you had to do a bleep test, which I don't believe. And then <laughs> uh, in this gathering, Shout we talked about gaffer. playing Jenny in tennis. Yeah. We sent her a voice note collectively. <laughs> this was and the whole point. Jenny Claffey responded... I believe we have it. All right. I think you guys need to decide when you're ready to take on the challenge because I think you might need a bit more than four weeks, as Ashley mentioned there. But let's get it done beforehand. I love your confidence, but you haven't got a hope. You haven't got a hope? Yeah. You're gonna I'm need happy a bit, to bit. put my money where my mouth is. That, that's, she's a former professional tennis player. So Jess Kelly, who was going to be on the show in a while yeah. this morning, has offered to uh, actually sponsor the event and it could be for charity. So we can actually do this. This would be a great idea. The tennis or the paddle? Both. This is why well, I'm be, uh, Preferably the tennis because Jess wants to see Jenny hammer me so that's why she's going to charge. Uh, and am I involved in this or not involved? Am I watching from the side? I'll happily watch I'll from the side. I'll be the umpire. I'll be the umpire for the If we clarify, I thought you said a game. Just I'm not backing out but I did think you said a game on text not a point. No, no, I can't win a game against I'm you. I'm pretty sure it was a game. No, sure, of course you can win a point. It could, it could, it could, it could, it could a double fault. No, 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 yeah. sorry, no. I, I have to win a proactive point. So unforced error does not beat count. me in a point. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's yeah, a different. Yeah. I was sure it was a game though. Definitely, uh, game primarily. is insane. You'd have to throw it. Right. So if Jenny hits yeah. long, it doesn't count. No, no. I have to proactively win the. I have to hit a winner. winner. Yeah, exactly. A winner. 
Arnaise. Okay, I'll take that. On, ret- on return serve is also fine. Do you think he'd have a chance of, <laughs> even in one, one set, say, do you think he'd have a chance of getting a winner? Well, you're. Well, I don't know if he ever played before. This is the other thing as well. I, I have, haven't played for a year. Confidently. Yeah. And I'll be grand in a year, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh. I might be sorry down the line. All right, there's, there's loads of actual tennis to talk about, but there this is. is, but this anyway is the exciting one. We just couldn't keep it to ourselves. Well, actually, Riley's injured there. at the moment as well. She so. is. She has to recover another month away. I think she that said. That gives to me. him another month of practice. Yeah, I, I actually sure do need to practice. Great. I actually do need to practice. Yeah. Oh, this is hilarious. Uh, it's going to be embarrassing, Colm. Now, am I playing left hand or right hand? I can play what you want. Like it doesn't matter. I'll win the point. <laughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan over here, two hands. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, the tennis itself, Angers run. I always, anytime I see the name pop up, I'm like. Stings, stings. What's it? What's it? Yeah. You beat her six love, six love. Yeah, six love, six That's love. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Two time Grand Slam finalist. Yeah. yeah. Did you think she had something special even that day when you were hammering her? Yeah, she was very good back then. Sorry, she was only about. I was eighteen. She was sixteen, or I was nineteen, maybe. And she had played the Junior French Open only a few weeks before and had won it. Right. And then this was playing. She was playing for Tunisia, and I was playing for Ireland. So it was in mm. Fed Cup. Um, they had won the tie 2-0 and that was the third match but uh, yeah still went out and beat her I love it the confidence yeah. she's uh, she's flying in this tournament but like at least the women's draw feels a little bit more open who, who in which direction do you think it's headed at the moment well, I think it's actually great to see in the women's draw that the last eight we still have the top four seeds yeah. do you yeah. know this is the first time I think in long over ten years away over ten years I think that we've had the top four seeds mm. which is kind of a sign of the women's game at the moment we talked about that last week briefly about how we now have the, the kind of the top three with, yeah. with um, Sean Tex Abelenka and Rebekina mm. so it is good to see them in their righteous places at this stage yeah. I do see those top three still progressing now to the semi-finals after today's I can't wait for the qu- second quarter final today Iga Svantec against Lena Svitolina because I was texting you the Sunday night those two matches back to back were incredible Svantec saving two match points in the second set it was going to be a straight sets defeat against Belinda Bencic and Svantec despite her dominance on clay and she's four Grand Slam titles already this is the furthest she's ever gone in Wimbledon to a quarter final which is hard to believe she just hasn't transitioned to grass as well then on the other side Svitolina against Azarenka Sunday night the atmosphere oh my god yeah does Svitolina have the game to trouble Sviantec even if it is on Sviantec's least preferred surface? I think that Svitolina with everything that goes with Svitolina at the moment how there's this hype obviously around she's come back only just after having a baby yeah. nine months ago um, she's unbelievably um, uh, standing strong in obviously the defence of the war in Ukraine and, and that's really driving her she she kind of put it down attested a lot of her success in the last few weeks to like this drive for playing for her country and mm. representing her country yeah. and then I think that that's carrying her that momentum as well and she's obviously come into some good form since Roland Garris but I'm not sure against Shiantek I think she'll push her but I'm not sure that Shiantek will I, I think Shiantek will come through that match mm. maybe in two close sets But do you think Shiantek will win the whole thing? I think she'll get to the final. Right. Yeah, uh, I said I was kind of confident that she would win it, and then you know Ribakina is doing better than I, I thought. Think, she was I think Ribakina will retain yeah, it. Yeah, I, I do think she's, she's she's so dominant on grass. We see coming into him, then she obviously she had that virus, so she yeah. withdrew from Roland Garros, yeah. withdrew yeah. from another. So we weren't really sure where she was, but I think she looks like she's in good form. Mm. Shantek doesn't look bad, and I do like in, in bad form, but I do think that match against Bencic will definitely in, improve her intensity now coming into this match. Like those kind of tight matches really switch you on, mm. you know, and she really going to focus now, and and obviously that will give her confidence. If you're Azarenka walking off the court Sunday night, oh. and you get booed like that, 
are you also reacting the way she did? I thought she was quite restrained, even though she did gesture towards the crowd. But it was unbelievable that she got booed. That was bad, really bad. Yeah, they, they, the WTA released a statement there today, um, or it was this morning about like that the players, like that they were just remaining clear on the stance that you know Ukrainian players are not going to shake hands with Russian Belarusian mm. players. So. To, in an effort to stop this booing because it is really, really poor. Like, what a sour taste walking off that match losing in a third set tiebreaker. And she, and she, she after the match, she didn't go up to shake her hand. She did nothing. Like, she gave her the gesture. Exactly. Yeah, the gesture. She, it was a, like, after such a tough loss, nobody wants to do it anyway. Like, shake hands is our position. But then to show in that moment, Azarenko really, like, you know, I think she's showing her class by still giving her the credit and then gets but it's pure anyway. ignorance from the, the crowd it so they, totally they assumed oh she's lost an extremely tight match yeah. she doesn't want to shake her opponent's hand because she lost so but she did a casual thumbs up but it's like if the crowd are paying attention Azarenka actually helps Vitalina to make it less awkward Yeah, to be yeah. like this is what I'd do Vitalina wants didn't she come out afterwards and say I wanted Wimbledon to actually make an announcement to let the crowd know of the politics and why she's right yeah, she sh- they should and that is they what need, they're not going to do they need to do that I think the WTA did it instead so not women and so they're the governing body of the, yeah. the game I think it was somebody who, who did come out with a statement kind of just to say look this is the stance and you need to please try and yeah. respect the players like it's a very you know tricky situation for everyone involved like for those players but I think the least the crowd could do is they need to say it over the microphone at the time that's what needs to happen because people in like because then everyone in the, in the crowd knows what yeah but how do you word that yeah. I mean that's also difficult to do it live like I, I do think that like you say that they should have made it clear yeah. but it's very difficult for the umpire like how do you word that like the, the umpire can't the be like as the match is over they're walking up yeah, like, there won't the, be a handshake there like, won't be a handshake yeah, no, like yeah exactly but look aside from the booing the atmosphere was absolutely incredible yeah, at the end of that game that was. and I think it, it 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 actually increased the standard of both players as well and the, the like the yeah. the power of the ground strokes yeah phenomenal at the end of that game two real hard hitting players yeah. like mm. and two champ like real champions um, I know as as has won grand slams but um Serena's only got as far as semi final but yeah. she is an Olympic gold medalist or silver medalist like she's yeah. been at these stages before but I just think there was just an amazing electric atmosphere in, in under the in the stadium and both players rised I think they were playing their best tennis yeah. I do think that was probably one of the best women's matches that we've seen this year other than maybe the Australian Open final this there's year there's nothing like it on centre court when both players are playing phenomenal and the mm-hmm. crowd are into it the yeah. atmosphere it's like you can actually feel it through the television watching like you, it's spine tingling that's what motivates people to play tennis yeah, I think I those think kind so, of the matches glory, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Christopher Eubanks' story is this the story of Wimbledon so far? I think he's definitely uh, in the limelight oh, it has after. to be the story yeah. of Wimbledon no it, oh it is God. no he's amazing like a, a kind of a journeyman you know he's been at it for a good few years and then this is he's made his breakthrough he has shown signs before before Wimbledon just earlier on this year kind of in um, in March when he broke the top 100 and mm. uh, finally after like five years of trying and potentially giving up his career there after Covid so it's really great to see you know a, a great personality he's got great presence and he's got one hell of a serve Oh he's ridiculous he, he? Uh, but it's 27 uh, years of age as well 27 yeah it's a phenomenal achievement to beat the fifth seed Cephalon Tsitsipas who not demolished but you know comfortably beat Andy Murray in part two of their match last Friday Pointing and and he was set to be the first ever Greek to reach the quarterfinals of Wimbledon so that must have played in his mind but Eubanks such a like Shane and Jenny like you've alluded to it there but like what a story only took up the game professionally five years ago went to Georgia Tech has a business degree and to supplement his income 
when he was like outside the top 200 he was commentating on the tennis channel yeah. so that's why he's such a good talker but he said like what's really interesting about him is he said the commentary actually helped him improve his game yes. so he was analysing players much better and there he is on screen there for people who haven't seen him so far but like, like so likeable in every way and also a month ago he hated grass he said it was Could, a stupid surface stupid yeah, yeah. and he's, he's great friends with Kim Kleister's former yeah, grand, multiple grand slam champion who said like no no you, you should love grass you have the game for it your serve is brilliant and it was his footwork he needed to move on so she was saying you were planting your right foot and on grass maybe you can say more on this on grass you need to tiptoe around a bit more and be a bit looser okay so he isn't as in I didn't hear that part that he yeah. was what he was he was, he was too static receiving okay on open return serve yeah. movement okay yeah I did hear that uh, he texts Kleisters a month ago yeah. to be like how do I play on grass you know yes. and then she was as you said there like told him he's got a big serve that it should suit his game and then progressively he won his first ATB title in Mallorca yeah. on grass and then obviously as we've seen he's Feister's doing very very well yeah, she's saying she's not taking any credit for it, obviously, because he, he has yeah. to do it out there. But yeah. she must have given him a few tips. But uh, yeah, on the grass, you have to be so slight of foot, obviously, because yeah. you, you have to be so quick around the court because the ball's moving much faster. You don't have as much time. And he's six foot seven. He's so tall. So he has to stay lower to the ground as well. What was your favourite surface playing? Was it grass? Hard court. Hard court yeah, yeah, I liked hard because you were still able to play like powerfully and I could dic- dictate with my forehand and you're able to move around. Like, the rallies weren't as fast as grass and then not as slow as clay. So if you put me on a clay court, I wouldn't, not, not the most comfortable. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I like to play aggressive tennis. So I, on the clay court, you kind of get drawn into a bit more of it. The rallies are longer, so it's a, not defensive, but the rallies are much longer. It's harder to w- put a winner away. Having been on the circuit yourself, can you talk us through like, what you would imagine the journey of Eubanks would be for the last five years really struggling like and you've already alluded to it that he was nearly going to walk away from the game because he was struggling so much he obviously has the talent like you saw it even in the forehand winner to beat Sitsipas yesterday so like you there's so many people with so much talent out there like can you just like take us through like the actual struggle of being a day-to-day tennis player outside of the two weeks of a Grand Slam where everyone's watching? Yeah, well, I think like if you look at Eubanks's case like you know when you're at that, that stage where he's trying to break the top 200 then he's trying to break the top 100 it's almost he becomes he identifies with then he is just a guy who's always going to be qualies of the Grand Slams or you know it's hard to break that yeah. break in and like if you look at his record like he's played I think something like five times he played in the in the qualifying rounds in the French Open before he finally got in six yeah. years later like that's some perseverance he's had but I wonder like you know it's the belief now that he once he's gotten his breakthrough into the top 100 this year that he can be amongst these guys and he belongs he belongs there mm. and now you could just see his his um his improvements he's in the top 40 now you know it, there's a confidence about him and an aura about him that he may not have had while he was trying to break that top 100 or that belief there's always going to be that doubt there if mm. you're on the on the periphery and you can't get in five years at it do you know like that's that's heartbreaking stuff and fair play to him because some of these guys just need that chance Why? Yeah. sorry the stupid question alert why is because to an untrained eye you would think hardcore is faster than grass but you're saying grass is faster than than, than hard. hardcore yeah why is that uh, with, the, with the way it skips it, off it yeah the, it, um, if you think of like grass outside the ball doesn't bounce yeah. as high on yeah. it whereas on a on a hard court the ball will, will kind of slightly take some of the grip of the ground okay, the ball yeah, and bounce yeah, yeah. up higher same on clay like if the ball will hit the grit the grit absorbs a little bit of the ball and then bounces quite high whereas on the grass it's just kind of penetrating through they're a little bit slower now the grass than they used to be that's why we're yeah. seeing a little bit less serving volume I probably don't have time to get to the Alcaraz Berrettini match too much I thought the start of the second set yesterday was the most phenomenal tennis I'd seen in a while and like the scoreline actually betrays the quality of the tennis because it looked like a straightforward four sets win for Alcaraz yeah. but it was fantastic but I was on to yesterday we were chatting when we were watching it 
And just for a kind of a snapshot for people who are watching this as casual viewers, who in the remaining players left in the draw, strongest forehand, backhand serve, who should we watch out for? On women's side, I'd look for Ribikina for Rebecca. Sorry for the serve. I think she's got a really, really good serve. And the women's side, very solid, very accurate. Uh, backhand. I'm going to. I'm going women first. Women's uh, Shiontek. Her backhand is definitely one of the best on the tour. She's able to flatten it out and play with a lot of heavy spin. Um, and Savalenka with the forehand. I think just with the sheer power that she can get on it when she's on, that forehand is firing. Yeah. Then we go to the men's side, and it's kind of hard to look past Djokovic on oh, all three. Yeah. Just in terms of like his. Serve. It's the it's it's, underrated, is it? Yeah, it's it's the placement and the accuracy instead of necessarily the power. Yeah. But he's just so accurate with it. And in those clutch points like Love Fifteen or Thirty All, he always seems to come up with the serve. And um, but then I looking at Alcaraz, I'd like to uh, looking at forehand. Sorry, I'd like to look at Alcaraz's forehand. I just think he's got yeah. such variety on his forehand. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 he he probably longer term he's going to have a better forehand than than Djokovic. Is there anyone in the remaining draw on the men's side who has a better ground stroke than Djokovic? Are some shots that the is moment, superior? Oh well, yeah. I think Alcaraz's drop shots yeah. are just crazy. Yeah, he's just he can play them from anywhere and off any kind of a ball. And yeah, I'd say maybe drop shots, but Djokovic is very good at those as well. But I think Alcaraz probably would trump that and the variety he seems to have. I think we will see in the next few years will really will trump the actual game style that Djokovic plays. We'll just see so much more variety and spice to Alcaraz's game. Before you go, can I just ask you about the Djokovic comments on the so obviously the curfew has stopped a lot of matches at the mm. peak and it happened with Murray Sitz past night as well. It, like Djokovic was saying, he wants the games to maybe start earlier. He plays on Rublev in, in the quarterfinals today, um, and his previous match against uh, Herbert Hukash was over two days. So play starts at one o'clock on court one, half one on, on center, and then you have that eleven p.m. curfew. Djokovic is saying they could start maybe at twelve noon, so an hour earlier possibly. He says he spent seven hours waiting for his fourth round match to start because those earlier matches ran long. And in the opposite issue, uh, when when match resumed for a fourth set on Monday, the previous tie had finished really quickly um, due to an injury. So does he have a point? Like, Should it maybe start earlier? Should we get rid of the curfew? I guess that's an issue for Wimbledon, but... Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's always to do with the media and the broadcasters and money. It's money in those situations, yeah. Um, that, that Wimbledon have said that they're not starting to one thirty due to broadcasting issues. Um, but I do think for the players, the matches should be brought back earlier. I think 12 o'clock is fairly reasonable mm. um, because stopping in the middle of a match, like, for example, Sitsipas and Murray, mm. I think Murray could have beaten Sitsipas yeah. the other evening yeah. if it wasn't if it didn't, wasn't uh, finished because of that curfew. And then the Djokovic, her catch, would have, could have, maybe Djokovic would have won in three sets tonight yeah, yeah, but then it yeah. you know ended up in four so it does shift the momentum big time and it gives the players a chance to rest and then go back and talk to their coaches and you know reassess and change their tactics if needs be but I just think from from a fairness on the players it would be better if they brought those start times a little bit earlier to stop this this issue happening yeah would make sense uh, Jenny great stuff as always thanks for, for hopping thanks in thanks for being here guys thanks again very shortly on Wimbledon as it comes to a close this weekend am I right saying that uh, yeah yeah this weekend yeah. Uh, great stuff, Jenny Claffey there with us at 8.48am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast showing off the ball with myself and Colm through until 10 o'clock. Still loads to come. Jess uh, Kelly talking Hawkeye, Willow Callahan's hurling power rankings as well and then at half past nine, uh, Rory O'Connor will be with us. But John Duggan is in studio. Good morning, John. Morning, folks. How are we doing? Keeping well, keeping well. You've got the championship haircut, John, is it? Am I right in saying that? I don't know if it's that. It's more the necessity for a haircut. Necessity for a haircut. That Apologies. doesn't really have any links to the concluding stages of the GA Championship but I appreciate the 
the acknowledgement of the, the acknowledgement of the acknowledgement of the John Duggan had a mad look there two weeks ago in the office had the sideburns and the hair down and I, I literally stopped in my tracks in the office I was like that's a great look for you it is yeah a little well, bit of stubble as well yeah and, yeah, and, 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 what then. and now it's all Vietnam style now we're off to Vietnam next week to, uh, to fight yeah <laughs> so that the uh, always be prepared full metal jacket is uh, been invoked yeah so uh, sometimes it's good to clean, clean yourself up and uh, go again <laughs> Look good, feel good, play good. You were in Croke Park as a doubleheader yourself, John, on the, on the weekend, both games. Yeah, it's funny, kind of, because you're not, it's a strange job, because you're not known, but you're not anonymous either. So you do get people coming up to you, oh, you're off the ball. Uh, <laughs> Look, Cork uh, lads at it. Uh, yeah, well, that's a terrible accent, isn't it? Uh, oh, keep up with the great work, and there's lovely people out there. And I've never, when I've ever met anybody, never got a negative comment from anybody. So I always appreciate people when they, when they say hello. The negative ones are, are saved for Twitter. Uh, or YouTube commenters. Or YouTube commenters. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the minority of, of, and obviously there's lots of lovely YouTube commentators. Just look, we're just trying to do a job here, and and the people that you you do meet uh, that do recognise you are always really really sound. And you know anybody that I've ever met uh, has always been just sound and wanted to just talk about the game, the Galway Limerick game, and Limerick have an ability to move the ball, the slitter better than anybody else I think I've ever seen in a hurling context. And once they found their rhythm in the second quarter into the third quarter of that game against Galway, they just moved the ball like Manchester City or Liverpool would move mm. the football. And that's years in an academy. That is just, it's just metronomic. It is instinctive. And Galway, no answer to it. Limerick played with an aggression, especially like Seamus Flanagan was getting in the Galway faces. Galway played so well in that first half, but they just couldn't keep it going. And uh, their poke act strategy failed in the second half. And... Limerick just found that extra gear and when they got into full flow they were unstoppable and I think Kilkenny will find it very difficult against them because Kilkenny used all of their brilliance to edge Clare because Kilkenny are the county in Gaelic Games that has been able to get the most out of itself uh, more than any other county in terms of the talent and just squeezing the best out of itself and Clare played with a bit more romance this year but romance doesn't win matches and uh, once Clare um went two points in front they gave away the softest of goals probably the most soft goal I've seen since Donegal Kerry 2014 when mm. Kieran Donaghy scored a goal and Kilkenny just saw it out and mm. Kilkenny will put it up to Limerick but the worry for Kilkenny is that in that third quarter they were swamped by Clare who went direct and if Limerick go direct with Aaron Galan in the form that he's in this year I can only see a four in a row uh, outcome for this so much happened over the weekend, Johnny, of TJ Reid uh, taking the record for the most number of points. Cahill Mannion's great goal, Shane O'Donnell's unbelievable finish top corner, but everything is trumped by Owen Murphy's save. Yes. For you, where does it rank? It ranks up there. Saves? It ranks up there. The instinctive nature of it. It's funny because in the other game, a ball hit the, 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 the top of the bar, came down to Galan and it went in. Galan finished it to the net, but... In the moment when the game was on the line, and I think in extra time, Claire could have got momentum to swing it mm. the other way again. So it's it's up there. There's always a recency bias to these things where yeah. you say, "Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen," and we're all guilty of that, myself included. The best save I ever personally saw at Croke Park was 1997. Claire had just got a point up against Tipperary in the final. John Lahey was through one of the best forwards in the history of the game, and David Fitzgerald saved a, a certain goal, and that won the All Ireland for Claire. So sometimes I feel the magnitude of the game makes I think bigger yeah. and I think that that's one that definitely always stands out for me Cotton Milani was saying in the office this morning when John and I were discussing this that mm. if um, they go on to win the whole thing that the save will be even better again but I was, th- yeah. I, was, I was trying to judge it if it was a pre-season friendly 
would it be? No, it, still would, it wouldn't be. Context is like Nicky Quaid against Cork in 2018 is remembered because they went on to win, isn't it? Really? Like, yeah. you know, if you don't win that, if Limerick don't win, it's well, still also, iconic, but it it's not as iconic. And it's iconic because it started the whole run for Limerick. Yeah. But they won the All Ireland that year, and then would they have won three in a row if they hadn't won in 2018? Yeah. Brendan Cummins had a double save in the Munster semi final against Waterford, 2004, Parky Cueve. Mm. The second save, he saved for a 65, and it was like, you, you never see anything like it. Like, that was proper top corner. Yeah. And that's it, a Munster semi final. The, 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 that Nicky Quaid moment as well, John, where the, the I guess the play is disrupted. Nicky was obviously very badly hurt, possibly needed an ambulance onto the pitch um, at the 25th minute to, I guess, disrupt the play a little bit. Uh, it certainly had that impact and John Kiley and uh, Paul Kinnerk were no doubt able to, to throw on some, some tactics we're seeing a lot of that in the game but I guess it makes sense momentum has to be stopped if you're the team that's conceded uh, momentum can be a bit overrated as well like Limerick were clearly the better team in the day they won by 9 points I don't think it has that much of an impact to be honest, honest on it personally I think Limerick would have swam to Galway anyway because um, Galway could not last 70 minutes and they've got a lot of question marks about themselves Um they didn't in the second half really turn up at all and they, they just looked lost and where do they go from here so I don't think the Nicky Quaid thing has got any, any really semblance of a bearing and being a massive turning point in the yeah. game I who's think Limerick were coming come anyway who's going to win the final oh Limerick and I'm pretty clear about that um, they'll, quick. They'll, they'll have to be un- underperform and Kilkenny will have to overperform and I just worry do Kilkenny have a 75 80 minute performance in them because Clare was so poor in that first half but playing the sweeper was a mistake and they gave Kilkenny a five-point cushion and it was ultimately what won them the game. Um, but last year was close. It was only two points in it but I still feel that even though they don't have Finn and Hannon I do think Limerick are the team to beat but if there's any team to deny a, three, a four in a row it's Kilkenny. They denied Cork in 06 and, and as you know yourself Colin, Cork had never been back. Are you going to Croker this weekend at any stage, Sean? Uh, no, we'll wait for the final. Um, yeah, that's good dub fans, yeah. <laughs> I love, the this. Final. I love this. I love this. Unbelievable. What more do you need for the dressing room wall? You know? Very quickly, just to change sport and pass the Coglu. Yeah. I haven't talked to you about him. Are you yeah. happy? I was very impressed with his press conference yesterday. That is a man comfortable in his own skin. He's the kind of guy you feel like he's going to say to you in one moment, Do you want a beer? Or he's going to absolutely <laughs> skin you alive and eat you <laughs> in front of everybody else. So much so, you'll, you'll never go to a press conference again. You'll be so embarrassed, and you probably hear the utter silence as you just absolutely rips you to shreds in a press conference or he could say do you want a tinny? <laughs> Foster's mate other beers are available um, better beers than Foster's there no, are no, no disrespect to Foster's it's just a my <laughs> cup of tea or a cup of beer uh, yeah no no Ange uh, look uh, he, he gave a very impressive press conference uh, he's not going to be treating Harry Kane with any special uh, kid gloves when he meets him today um, they're apparently going to offer Kane 400 grand a week say the Telegraph to stay uh, but Ange is a rebuild merchant. He degraded Celtic. This is obviously a higher level. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with him, um, and I, I, I think he'll hold his own in the chats of Daniel Levy, and I think that's mm. going to be important. Certainly, uh, John, great stuff. Right, Thanks, popping right. in. John Duggan there with us. Eight fifty six a.m. on Tuesday mornings. O two a.m. The sports breakfast show on off the ball. Delighted to have Jess Kelly, the news talk technology correspondent in the studio. How are you, Jess? I'm very well. How are you? Keeping well, thanks. We, we decided we wanted to talk about Hawkeye. Yes. Uh, oh, we got a stick. I needed that. <laughs> it's not a Jess Kelly slap about this. Well, you need the music. Mm. Oh, you can't hear this. Yeah, no. we're playing Daft Punk music. Daft Punk like music for you. Oh, it's very good. Thanks. It signals to the masses. 
Okay. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. At least it's not wham. It's not wham. No. Oh, sorry. You, you've seen the documentary. Oh, I was like, just don't tell me until you're on air, but you gave it away. Should it, it was good. No. Can you elaborate? Uh, so I felt many things. Yeah, I actually really liked it. So three things. Firstly, wham are great. Like so many good songs that you kind of forget about. Number two, I felt guilty that I didn't fully appreciate the brilliance of George Michael until he died because I didn't realise he produced an awful lot and I also didn't know that he backed away from that massive producer to do Careless Whisper again the proper way so big respect and the third thing that like really made me think afterwards the friendship between the two lads it's beautiful it is friendship goals beautiful because you know like we probably all know people working in the industry that we work with when one person supersedes another person egos come in to mix massively yeah and the fact that your man Andrew was able to just stand back and be proud of his friend was it obvious then that Mike, George Michael was the more ta- not more talented? Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah very, very early on. But originally was the driving force behind them coming together. And he was the guy who looked after him in school when George Michael was the new kid and he was the popular guy and the good looking one and very charismatic. So George kind of followed his lead in many ways. But, but you, then George superseded him musically very quickly. You kind of need that dynamic. Like yeah, I interview like a lot of businesses and startups and all the rest. And very often you'll have two people, the creative side and the creative force. And then you've got the business brain. And a lot of startups fail because there's like the ego, there's just the creative and they think they can do everything on their own. So I think the awareness of the two of them that they came together. And the only thing I had, and I don't know if it's my cynical head, is that an accurate portrayal of their actual relationship? Seems to be. I mean, the first thing I did after the documentary ended was I went, went on YouTube. Wikipedia. Okay, okay, YouTube. And there was an interview that George Michael did with Parkinson in 1998, weeks after the incident, the indecent exposure incident, however it was reported. And I was thinking, well, what's he going to say about Ridgely now? This is like less than mm-hmm. a decade or just over a decade after they spill up. And it was very kind. And it was very much like exactly what was said in the documentary 20 years later, which is like, he stood away and was very happy for me to be successful and Parkinson asked him do you stay in touch and he was like well he's surfing in Cornwall these days so I don't see much of him but we're still very much friends so I, I, I it's easy to be cynical about the whole thing Ridgely obviously knew the limits of his talent but he still wished him well and was like no over to you and like you'd be welling up watching at the end their farewell concert and it's like Ridgely almost knows in its face like that this is the end of it and he even looks different like he had this beautiful mullet in the 80s like oh. you know suited the decade so yeah. perfectly but at the end he has his hair cut short and he's like much less kind of extroverted on stage and he's very much given the limelight to George and he, there is a bit of sadness because he's only going one way yeah. George and Ridgely's yeah. going the other I'm sure Ridgely was financially sorted out oh yeah Oh yeah, but I think right, right, sir. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's the partnership and it's the yeah. friendship. Yeah, because very often when you watch those music documentaries, it ends badly. Mm. You know, someone becomes the ultimate dickhead, and then they never talk yeah. again. And like, even if you watch stuff about the Eagles, as it goes through, they all start referring to each other as like Mister Whatever. They don't use each other's first names. Right. That's how like toxic Austin that relationship became. So uh, no, it was a good recommendation, Colm. Well done. Thanks very much. Well done, yes, I appreciate that. You're well, Colm's. Yeah. When you're speaking of egos, Colm's ego needs the the, mis- the oh, massage. Listen, you don't need to tell me about Colm's ego. Because like, if you come in here and said, "Oh, it wasn't good," or you know, if if he recommends something, you say yeah. it's not good, his ego will get dented. No, no, I would just question though. you though. Well, more than anything, but it's, you know? it's art is subjective. No, no, no. It's it's not just ego, with Colm, because it's the cork thing as well. Yeah, there is a higher superiority there level is. there. He's got the cork swagger and then the ego for sure. That's it. Great to have you in here, Jess. Thanks so uh, much, Jim. Yeah, Delighted it. to be here. Yeah, we are here to talk about Hawkeye. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I don't know how this. I don't know how it hopped into our heads. I, the the Armand Monaghan game recently. There was the incident where I think it was Michal Bannigan from Monaghan kicks a score. 
the umpires are kind of looking at each other going I, I, I don't know yeah. <laughs> and the referee didn't know the players were both saying opposite things went to Hawkeye of course they do their little symbol let's go to Hawkeye and Hawkeye pops up with this file error basically it hasn't worked so it, and it famously didn't work infamously in the Galway or the uh, Galway Derry semi-final was it last year mm. so it's had issues um, but what's, this, what's the background so how, how does it work so this is like it's very sophisticated technology it's now owned by Sony it was initially developed for cricket and since then I think it's in 80 different tournaments around the world it's using right. whole, like, a whole host of different sports and it was brought in to GAA in 2013 so the way it works for those who don't know because everyone will have seen it on telly but may not know so there are nine cameras around Croke Park mm-hmm. and it, they can triangulate to follow the ball and what's really interesting is that it doesn't just do the controversial shots it follows the ball the entire time right. so it can be called in at any stage however it's like I think it's 1% of calls that it's relied upon it's very expensive technology the cost is around um, it's reported to be around between 7 and 8 grand to, to roll it out per match so it's a pricey bit of kit so when I saw that, that, pri- that uh, <clears throat> number recently I remember thinking oh that's that's not too bad for Hawkeye but then but I thought that was the cost of just putting it in there and keeping it there but it's, that's per game yeah it's a massive amount of money because and if you go on to Croke Park they, they actually have a breakdown it has its own um, data server it has its own connectivity hub and all the rest so you know if there's thousands of people in Croke Park as there often is and they're all using their phones you don't want the internet yeah. buffering for Hawkeye so they have their own supply there um, so the cameras are connected up and it can locate the position of the pole no matter where it is up to 26 metres in the air and 4 metres wide and then it can map the sort of projected path of the ball so it's not just doing uh, a prediction Mm. it's mapping out where it was and where it was likely to go and so because often there's controversy around the calls because if it goes up beyond the the post yeah that's very, very controversial. Curled in or wind factors or... But they say, and I, I've watched an awful lot now in the last few while about this, it has to be within either the physical goals or the projected goals. Okay. Uh, so that is up so to the 26 metres. Exactly. And if, if it's not there, then it's out. But it has been controversial because it has failed a few times. So I was reading through some of the statements. I did get on to GA and I got on to Hawkeye. Hawkeye came back to say that they can't speak on behalf of their partners, uh, which is fair enough. So they directed me back to the GA. I didn't hear back from the GA. But having read through some of the statements that are up on the website, um, the GA's website, there have been different errors over the over the last few years. Mm. So the example, the Armour Monaghan game on the 2nd of July, the system came back with a data unavailable message. So that is like 404 error. It's just the worst. Um, the GA got onto Hawkeye and they said that it was as a result of operator error. So... You know, in the comms box, mm. there are usually two people who are running the, the Hawkeye system up in the comms box. Right. And it seems that they were kind of thrown under the bus by this statement. It was an operator mm. error that gave... There's like that. pilot error, like when you're talking about airplane incidents. So they're blaming it on the humans? Yeah, it was, yeah, basically. So the system, and it's quite interesting to see, so they are capturing every single movement of the ball. And then when it is called upon, there is a bit of manual input required with the system. And then it gets thrown up to, onto a monitor that then flicks it onto the big screens. So somewhere in that chain of events. Sorry, but the phrase "you have one job" comes to mind. Ah, like, ah no. no! If you read Let's the notes there, it's tough. But sorry, no, it's, it's tough it's, frame by si- frame. Yeah, but they're they're. Well, they're no, there no, 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 no. The individual isn't doing the frame by frame video. I know, it's the analysis of it, so I don't get it when it goes through the post and they're showing it, and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be Tar or Neil. 
You think through the post is a nail. Through the post is a nail. But then you, I often, uh, I depict it as like slightly too inside the post basically and it would still be nil. But sorry, I didn't mean to be harsh there. I mean like if it's inputs that they have to put in to get the, the yeah, so that's, not get that unavailable then do that right. Yeah, because the technology itself should do and I suppose to explain it again a little bit better with the, the cameras that are in Croke Park it does break down frame by frame and then does that sort of VR image that you see uh, going over and that is sort of very much automatic, but there is a level of human interaction required. Fire. Exactly, yeah. There was another one, another incident uh, in July of last year, and this one was a little bit more interesting in terms of the statement. They said it was a combination of unrelated issues. So this was a thing of it doesn't rain, but it pours. Uh, so including minor hardware failures that led to the score at the first half. There was, they, they did say that there was no historical issues um, and that they were going to review its own protocols as to how and when the system is being used. And then back in 2013, not long after it was introduced, yeah. there was an error and uh, it was in, as a result of an error in the match day setup. Mm. Right. Now, so it does sound like the tech company is blaming the human beings in every single instance. Uh, but the technology is very controversial. There have been a lot of reports and studies into this technology. Mm. Some people claim that the error of, uh, or the margin of error that it's given, because I think it's meant to be two millimetres, some reports that I read said that it could be up to 10 millimetres, right. which mm. that's a big could difference. Could be significant. Um, and if you look back at some of the calls over the years from Wimbledon as well, like they've been super controversial mm. and players get very, very frustrated about it. Some players don't like it at all. But as we spoke about last week when I came back from Wimbledon, they, with IBM, are now not not only using Hawkeye, but they're also using AI to verify the calls of Hawkeye. Right. So it's Double going, to, yeah, and it's going to continue in terms of levels of sophistication. But I think, like, there's a few different things. It's never going to be 100% right. Like, no. nothing is. Even the yeah. biggest tech companies, their servers go down or something goes wrong. If you want it to be completely scientific, then just play in a lab where all the conditions are completely 100% all the time. That's just that. But then also, what's the alternative? Because the umpires aren't going to get every call. They just physically can't see yeah. every single Human call. Error. Fair enough. There's going to be that there as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting if you did a survey of the, the typical GA fan if they'd rather do without or they take oh, you the have to have technology. It. I know. It, look, sorry. I understand the 2013 issues, teething problems. Fair enough. Yeah. The, my concern is that like it's 10 years on now that the GA have been using it in Croke Park and Semple Stadium as well. Like Some of the issues, like when, when it comes up... like. As a Monaghan fan, <clears throat> when that ball, Are you from Monaghan, I, I don't. I know I don't say it too often. You should mention I, know, often. I should say it too often. Uh, more often. You're up there with Cork stuff. So. Bingo! Take that off your bingo list if you, if you had it this morning. Monaghan. Uh, it's actually waited quite a while into today's show before mentioning them. But like, you know, if that game was a draw. Ends up Monaghan winning, winning on penalties. But if if that ends up in a defeat, a one point defeat, or a team loses a, a massive game and it emerges afterwards, well, that ball looked over. Yeah. I mean, you're sickened, and it's it's. There's such huge issues at play here. These teams are training for months on end and years on end, mm. and to have something taken away by a by a small. Well, that, but that's what I mean. Issue. Would you rather just go by a human decision rather than the uh, incorrect technology? So, like the week weekend before last, so we've already alluded to earlier in the show, they dropped it for the second set of the football quarterfinals because yeah. there was an error on the Saturday, and there, I, there was no real uh, dissent about that. Like, because I'd rather do human decision than a faulty system. Yeah. And but, fa- faulty decision was the issue last year where the where it said the ball was over or sorry it said the ball was that was the Galway Derry game yeah yeah 
So it said the ball was over when it was clearly wide or the opposite? Vice versa. No, because Galway, they wanted a point. Yeah, it yeah. said it was wide, but it was clearly it over. It wouldn't come the, out without the point being given. It's the Shin Walsh 45, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah so it, 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 it either doesn't work like that or the data unavailable thing, which is most frustrating, I think. Like, yeah, but but again, there are a few factors that you need to consider here. You know, the, the speed of the mm. game is a massive factor. Yeah. And I also think having you know, that level of technology working in a stadium the size of Croke Park, like, it's not that it's crap technology. It's Mm. just that, you know, maybe, like, two times out of 100, you are going to have these instances. And that's... Stupid question, but I imagine the hurling is much more difficult than football. Yeah. Well, because the size of the ball, the velocity of the ball, the height that it can go to, like, that definitely is a factor. And I do think that that could sometimes lead into some of the decisions that we've seen, uh, particularly when they are talking about the frame by frame. Mm. Like if you read into some of the data that's there about the like how how much it has to capture and even the blur motion that would come up if you are breaking it down frame by frame, there there has to be the consideration there. Yeah. But and I'd gladly be corrected. I don't think there's another solution that would. Yeah. Because they had talked before, didn't they, about like changing the shitter and like putting maybe extra sensors in it or something yeah. like that. But that would change then the weight yeah. and a whole host of other stuff that maybe not like it's just not worth it. Players would hate that. So um, I, I don't know what the alternative is. Because this, this technology, like say golf tracing technology, when you see the ball yeah. being hit off, that's brilliant. In tennis, I think it does work. I know some players might not like tennis, it, but it, it's it good generally in works. It's good in tennis. Goal line technology in, in football has been important as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like and, and generally speaking. I I like hockey. I think it work. It like it's great when it works. It's just when you have issues in massive games. Like, sorry, if it's eight grand a game and and it's coming up data unavailable. Yeah, that's a waste of money. Like that's the <laughs> second most uh, interesting set from Jess's studies here. There are loads of interesting stats here, but less than one percent of calls need hockey. Yeah, that's. I did say that, that earlier. That's surprising. I know, but I need to go back and say it again. Like now, before you go, go on threads. Yeah. Should we be worried or excited? Uh, I don't think it should be on your radar because it's not available in the European Union. Is it going Union. to be? Uh, Sorry, possibly. For those of, explain this to us. I listened to a New York Times podcast yesterday about it. Did you? Sweeping America. Did you listen to my podcast about it? I did, yeah. Such a lie. Go that on, is there. such a lie. Look left when you're lying. Go on, explain there to the masses. Uh, so this is Meta's alternative version to Twitter. Obviously, Twitter's gone through a tough time since Musk took over. Zuckerberg and his team had been working on this for quite a while. They wanted to have a conversation-based platform. Um, It's going to be, or in the US, because it launched last Thursday. So if you're basically not in the EU, uh, you can now get it. And it's associated with your Instagram account. Right. And that's the reason why we don't have it here, because of data protection laws. It's like really exciting as a topic. Uh, But basically, the Irish Data Protection Commission, which governs the likes of Meta here in Europe has said that because of the data sharing between the potential data sharing between threads and Instagram, it's not allowed. They are reviewing it at the moment um, and hopefully we will get it. I do like the look of it. I'm completely over Twitter. I think Twitter is just the worst in capital letters. Oh, it's gone to the dogs, hasn't it? Yeah, but also nobody's been talking about threads more than Elon Musk has been talking about threads. Like every second tweet about uh, from him is about it now. So... I don't know. Now, I did actually see Mark Zuckerberg posted yesterday that they haven't monetized or they haven't opened up the ad side of things on uh, threads as of yet. So I wonder now when they start drip feeding uh, ads in another ad so people get sick of it and realize it's just another social media platform. There was also something I saw from, I think it was the New York Times, that questioned uh, the moderation side of things right. on threads. 
um, they didn't confirm that they'd hired moderators, I think, for the new application. And as we know, trolls are the worst thing about social media. So if that's not in place, then it's dreadful. Something I noticed yesterday, uh, Twitter has changed the reporting things that you can report uh, abuse for on the platform now. Okay. So if someone is just like harassing you and being like awful, those uh, options are now gone. It has to be like the worst of the worst, uh, which is not good because if you are someone on the platform and you are being targeted, yeah. Like what else do you, you do? Know? Yeah. It's the worst of the worst could be subjective. Like depends yeah. who you ask. 100%. Just looking there, Twitter has 250 million active users. By Monday, threads had reached 100 million. So catching up reasonably quickly. The two lads on, like this this old back and forth Musk and Zuckerberg are having. Oh, it's so... Messi, it's Messi versus Ronaldo of the tech world. No, but we had changed, like we'd so worked for that. years to change the perception of technology as not what? just being dudes in doses, hoodies and doses, jeans. Like and now they are completely undoing it all by being the whitest of white men and just being what? horrific. Musk looking for a, a literal dick measuring contest. I think what was the latest? Which, you know, said, uh, what more would you expect I mean, from him? It just sums the whole thing up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we got there, but, but I'm glad we did. Uh, Jess, great stuff as always. Thank Thanks you. so much for hopping in and explaining Hawkeye to us. That uh, don't exactly know how it works, but now I'm, I feel a little bit more enlightened, to be fair. Uh, 9.13 a.m. on this Tuesday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show on Off the Ball. I should say, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience. Here are some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network coming up today. We've got the football pod. We've got David Herity talking the hurling and football daily as well. After the break, we'll have Willow Callahan's hurling power rankings. First though, David Herity with Richie last night on Kenny's victory. Back in a sec. I was looking up during that time. I honestly, you know, I'd be looking up videos online. I'd be looking up sub goalies. So basically, I remember getting kind of a bit of enjoyment. I think it was some Arabian lad was brought on in the 88 minute, a sub goalie. But I was watching videos just to try and show that, like, this actually does happen. Yeah. That you do get back in if you're a, a sub-goalie and stuff like that. But I was finding anything anywhere to give me a bit of hope that this lad would eventually give me a chance. So um, I don't pity the likes of Darren Brennan, who's there, a sub-goalie. But there's always, like I said, there's always just that small bit of a hope. Owen, or sorry, not hope, as a sub-goalie. Owen does pick up injuries the way he plays, the way kind of he throws himself around the place. It can happen. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a terrible position. It's really horrible. Like even getting dropped for the final in 14, uh, Park Welsh was dropped and I was dropped. And I remember picking potatoes, like crying my eyes out the, the, the day before the All-Ireland. And I, I texted Park just basically, you know, you can come on. But in my own head, it was like, Jesus, you're never going to play with Kenny. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Yes, it is the Hurling Power Rankings, and it is the esteemed presenter of the Hurling Pod, Will O'Callaghan. Will, good morning. Wow. Good lads. Good to see that uh, Column is getting some use out of the bottle that he got from coming in for a slight tangent last week. It's become oh. a prized possession by the looks of it. This guy. Now, he's setting himself up for a compliment, but I'm going to give it to him. Go on. I was like, where did you get these bottles from? They're what's class. The, what's the bottle? A charcoal coloured bottle. Right. Is it news talk? Or it's not, uh, unbranded. Unbranded. So and it's black, uh, just a black, black bottle. Yeah. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. And then Willow Callahan, like, uh, like high school jock style, he was like, hey, kid, catch threw it over to me and I caught it 
high school jocks fumbled it like the nerd like that. yeah yeah and then, uh, and then oh, I'm using it and it's beautiful because it actually cools the liquid now that's a compliment to Will but the con of Will I wanted him right here next to us right he had promised he had promised us some in person Will O'Callaghan goodness but look at you now remote still looking well but not here <laughs> I got slightly delayed this morning and then basically my equation was I'm either on the train talking to you guys on my phone or I'm going to go back home and be in position to talk to you on a mic. So I think I probably did the right thing. Yeah. But hey, I, it's unfortunate not right beside you right now. You just wanted to avoid all the uh, the celebrity attention that you get on the trains. Like, did you have a... Did someone comment? Someone commented back that the guy who who you were speaking about and it was at the crappy quiz or something last week Will had a yeah because had a because Mick called him a stalker in the intro which was <laughs> incredibly harsh was um, obviously Mick wanted to get a little bit of attention your man looks at it and goes hey I watch the crappy quiz every week and now I'm called a stalker on it so no I can I can say faithfully the commenter on YouTube was not a stalker or a weirdo or whatever way Mick may have portrayed him in the intro I'd say Will Callahan's a recognised man oh Jesus Do you know yeah. I don't think he can go far like I'd say people are calling him all the time he takes it well yeah Where's now, it well? I, I'm going to put this up straight away before we get into the rankings. Will, why should we go to the Hurling Pod live? Um, because we've got some excellent guests for a start uh, to even do a soften of selling it. So Joe Canning is there, former Hurler of the Year. James Scales, former teammate with Galway, which means... Well I, well, I put up a tweet last night saying, I'm sure that Canning has got some great stories on Scale. Scales' first response in the WhatsApp group was, wait until you hear the stories that I have about Canning. So that's going to be <laughs> uh, pretty interesting. They're going to be going out to try and outdo each other on the night. And two of the guests that I can tell you guys first here on OTBAM that we're going to have on the night as well. Uh, one of Limerick's greatest ever, a man who ran the skin literally off his feet in a Munster final in Kieran Carey, one of Limerick's oh, best yes. players of all time. And the great Tommy Welch. On the day he comes back from holidays, he is going to the Borgosh Energy Theatre. He said he couldn't miss the occasion, so he's going to be there as well. You know, just the nine all-stars for Tommy across his career. It's almost like the Avengers. We're bringing the best pundits in the country together for one night in the Borgosh Energy Theatre. July 20th, all proceeds from the tickets are going to the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland. So you're supporting two really good causes if you come along in the night as well. And it's only three days out from the All-Ireland Final. And I waited till the semi-finals were over to book the last few guests because I was waiting to see what the composition was going to be. Well, I've given you one of Limerick's best one of Kilkenny's best to preview the final between Limerick and Kilkenny uh, on that Sunday Tommy be wearing his suit and tie no doubt putting everyone to shame Off well he might that, still be in his holiday clothes Shane he if might be actually back in the day. Uh, that was shirt. his promise to me he said I'm coming back that afternoon but I'll go to the Borgosh that night so I'm perfectly okay if Tommy wants to come in in his shorts and a Hawaiian shirt that's absolutely fine we'll let so him up the stage it. anyway the charisma on stage that night oh sorry It'd be too much for people it's true that's going to be, be a lot several of... intervals. What well, a day that is. Gehlem, that's just Gehlem Murphy alone. Yeah, I know. What a, day, what a day that will be overall for sports. Ireland's first game down under yeah. that morning. Mm. And then you take a break, put your head down for a while, go back out to Will. July 20th, this is. July 20th. Also the anniversary of the moon landings, the first moon landing on Apollo 11. Course, what a day. Of course it is. What a day. <laughs> so it's all, well, all... It might be, it might be as significant. I think it's four days after uh, the Indians were liberated from Galway as well. All oh, right. Father Ted folklore. Brilliant. Marathon. Uh, Offtheball.com forward slash events, Will, is it for tickets? That's it, yeah. You can pick them up there. If you check out the Off The Ball Twitter, you'll see the various different tweets about it as well. Pick up your tickets. Uh, pick up two and come along in the night. Um, yeah, it should be great. And I mean, uh, you're talking about charisma. Paul Murphy on the BBC at the weekend has uh, caught out Lee Chin uh, taking a sneaky picture of him while they were posing for another picture at the weekend. Mm. So that's how much of a star Paul Murphy is. He was on Virgin Media, OTB, BBC across the weekend, the busiest man in showbiz. 
you can I think we've just about tracked him down to actually be there on the 20th as well oh, Fantastic that'll be a good night's crack for sure uh, we'll get into the power rankings proper well, we might as well. Uh, there haven't been many changes, of course. We've only had the two semi-finals since. I think you can skip the first two slides this time around, Shane, given right, nobody has played on the first two. Fair, yeah. People remember where, where each county will have been. Otherwise, you can go back and have a look. With 18, Kildare, Meath, down. 16, Kerry, 15. Leash, 14. Offaly, 13. We have on screen for you there. Uh, 12, Carlo. 11, Westmeath. Antrim, 10. Wexford, 9. Waterford, 8. Dublin, 7. And then get to the top six. Talk us through the top six, Will. Well, the top six doesn't have a huge amount of change. You'll mm. see the one change that's happened is second and third have flipped around after Kilkenny's win against Clare. Uh, Galway stay in fourth place following their defeat against Limerick. And Limerick, who, here we are, five All-Ireland finals in six seasons, sit at the top. And so many times you guys tried to get me to budge Limerick from the top. Darrow <laughs> Donovan was talking about people writing them off during the Munster Championship, uh, coming out after the Munster final, saying people thought they were dead and buried ahead of the final round. And here they are, top of the tree, and I think very much favourites going into it to potentially uh, win four in a row in a couple of weeks' time. And that would uh, equal the success of the Kilkenny team if Limerick were to do so. But Kilkenny could have an interesting piece of history in themselves where TJ Reid could become the first man to win 14 All-Ireland titles across county and club, (laughs) which would be an incredible achievement. We know, and I know you guys mentioned it earlier with John, he will finish this season as the top scorer in the All-Ireland Hurling Championship. I don't think this is going to be a retirement season for TJ even going into his 36th year. Uh, he's gone seven points ahead of Patrick Corrigan after scoring 12 at the weekend. But 14 All-Ireland titles would be incredible. He's been the star man for Ballyhale Shamrocks. He's gone through what's felt like a very lean period for Kilkenny. But this would be the ultimate cherry on top, I think, if he was to get this Kilkenny team back to the top of the mountain. They have a lot to do. We saw what happened when these teams met in the league final earlier this year and Limerick out-hurled Kilkenny entirely. We saw last year that Limerick had the answers in the All-Ireland final. But Kilkenny, I think, will be happy enough to fly in a little bit under the radar into this final, having won the Leinster final in such dramatic circumstances and then dramatically beaten Clare last weekend as well. Kilkenny, I think, justifiably go up to second place on the penultimate power rankings of the year. Where is uh, TJ Reid in your power rankings of greatest ever players? Oh, he's, he's right up there. He really is. Like, I think himself and Canning were the best players of the decade just gone by, if you were to take, say, 2010 to 2020. And you can probably dispute and argue, and Scale and Murphy debated for their former teammates in the Hurling Pot earlier this year, that you know aesthetically you might enjoy what Canning does, the flicks, the skill, the things that he seems to be one of the only players that would be capable of doing. And TJ is an absolute machine, one of the best fielders of all time, an incredible free taker, not to take away mm-hmm. from how good Canning is on the freeze as well but TJ coming up in clutch moments during matches and we saw at the weekend he just went out there and kept Kilkenny ticking over even at the times when uh, Clare came right back into the game in the second half when they pushed their players back up TJ was there as the man who was leading the forward line you might be seeing Adrian Mullen and Owen Cody emerging as the next best uh, for the next generation for Kilkenny but TJ is always there and like I think back to that free uh, particularly in the club championship a couple of years ago when they beat St Thomas's in Semple Stadium I like. Is there any other player than TJ Reid who would have reversed that into the other top corner with the very last puck of the game? So he's an incredible, incredible player. Paul Murphy said the weekend he has him right up there with Henry Shefflin, which is the ultimate praise yeah. because I think when Henry Shefflin uh, hung up his playing boots, I think most people would agree probably the best player we've ever seen, certainly the most successful player we've ever seen. But Paul was making the point that if TJ Reid had been a few years younger and on that team, he would have also been one of the star forwards on the Kilkenny team that went so close to doing five in a row. So he's an absolutely incredible player. It actually felt like a slightly unfair advantage number of frees Kilkenny had at the weekend because mm. TJ Reid is almost <laughs> flawless. Like. 
Yeah, well, Claire France had issues with the officiating generally, probably. Well, more so, more so, I think, the fact that the play wasn't allowed to develop for yeah. what would have been a Mark Rogers goal. But it's, it's kind of a funny game to analyse because we remember the key moments during that match. And I kind of get the feeling that Kilkenny almost won that game. They almost won two games 12 months ago because the conservatism that Claire hurled with was definitely borne out from what happened last season when Kilkenny won by 12 points. And Brian Lowen said it, that after 25 minutes last year, they were beaten in that semi-final. Mm. And I think with the injury concerns they had with McInerney, Conlon, and particularly Conor Cleary at full-back, I think preserving their goal was the most important thing for Clare in the first half. But going out there with the sweeper played into Kilkenny's hands and Kilkenny made hay in the first half of that game and got themselves into a very good position and then we saw in the second half when Clare were that little bit more direct all right Shane O'Donnell scores an absolute wonder goal which is probably how we'd remember the game if it wasn't for a save from the best goalkeeper of all time in Owen Murphy (laughs) uh, just before full time but like these are the moments we remember in the game but if you look back and look at how good Clare were in that third quarter particularly they will be kicking themselves that they didn't get to this All-Ireland final still just the one championship win that they have against Kilkenny going back to 1997 Mm. so you can you can definitely read a lot into the fact that Kilkenny you've got great Crow Park experience, great Crow Park record, something that Clare haven't had since they won the All Ireland final in 2013. Yeah, you were saying the hurling pod on Sunday night when he went live after the game as well. It's about a decade since Clare won the championship at Crow Park, like against Cork in the replay. Uh, also, another thing that was said uh, on the hurling pod on Sunday night, James Skettle <laughs> did call Owen Murphy the best save he has seen, or maybe the wording words, "I haven't seen better than that." Mm-hmm. I want to ask Bill yep. O'Callaghan where does it rank for him considering it is the rankings. Oh. I happened and like I was listening to you guys chatting to JD earlier and you named out a string of very good saves along the way and I saw a save that Damien Martin made against Galway back in the 80s as well where he was at full stretch and it looked like the ball was going into the top corner and uh, the Davy Fitzgerald save in 1997 is right up there but I think we take the circumstance into account here in that the ball comes through a string of bodies when it's doubled on by Duggan and there can't have been a huge amount of time that Owen Murphy would have had milliseconds probably when he sees the slitter flying through um, at incredible pace. He's already kind of shifted. When you see the angle from behind the goal, you see how good a save it is as well. He shifted a little bit to the left, I think, to try and get visibility on where the ball is and he has to readjust his body at the very last second and he gets an incredibly strong hand onto it to flick it with the boss onto the crossbar and then for the ball to come clear. Obviously, there's a little bit of luck. We saw the goal that Galan scored on Saturday where there's a block that goes up onto the bar, comes back and yeah. he doubles on it on the ground with a ground stroke and finished into the net. But incredibly hard to save, an unconventional height, unconventional angle, and somehow the cat in the Kilkenny goals manages to somehow readjust and just save it. It's just absolutely unbelievable stuff to send them into a final. An incredible moment. Where, where were they going with only three minutes of injury time? Mm. Yeah, and it felt like it slowed down a little bit during injury time as well. I thought there definitely was time to go for a little bit longer. And I think Kilkenny were particularly relieved at that point because Clare to 65, which they kind of tried to drop in short and Kilkenny uh, just managed to get a rook situation. The ball came out and the referee blew the whistle fairly tight and three minutes gone. So, yeah, look, sometimes you get that bit of extra time. Sometimes you don't. And in this case, the time just ran out for Clare when really they were the architects of their own downfall a little bit earlier as well with the nature of the second own Cody goal that went in. Like you're just thinking that you can understand that they wanted to go short to try and work the ball back out. Um, but when Rory Hayes takes it into traffic now, 
granted Kilkenny swarm around very impressively and the aforementioned TJ Reid plays a lovely pass to Owen Cody which is maybe underrated a little yeah. bit as well because the finish is very good but mm. uh, Clare should have had that ball cleared I think sometimes when you get into a dangerous situation like that instead of going for the 1-2 there can be a lot to be said for just clearing your lines when you see that Kilkenny were pushing up on you as well so um, that's something Clare will have to ruminate over the winter about yes. and there were different times during the Munster Championship particularly when they came away from the Gaelic rounds with the win in the Munster Championship itself where you thought this Clare team have got an All-Ireland final in them this year and even after the Munster final you thought it was going to be a trilogy between mm. Clare and Limerick but again right off Kilkenny at your pearl that's not to be well I, I, I will brag about this later in the week I did call Kilkenny by one to three points on the quick picks which will it's it's, re- it's really bad news on the quick picks as well because a few lads were pointing out on the live part of the weekend they were like oh yeah Will was a lot more convinced by the margin of victory that Limerick would have against um, Galway in the first yeah. game and I'm thinking yeah but it's not much good when they win by nine and you've predicted they'll win by six so there's still no <laughs> bonus point to be had I think Shane Hannan is in a very comfortable position at the top of the quick picks now we may well have to add in more parameters to try and slow him down in the box seat although we have Dublin Monaghan to come Will this weekend so um, you know and it's tough to yeah. go against your own county I've, so, uh, yeah. I have a feeling you're probably going against the grain so maybe uh, we'll go with favouritism with Dublin so Quite possibly let's see but like lads Limerick are well out in front at the top um, I think we asked a few weeks ago had the margin come down between the teams mm. at the very top I think that Limerick performance after the 25th minute yeah. was they just blew Galway away disappointing if you're a Galway supporter because you know they were very limp in the second half but Limerick worked out the problems even without Hannon even without Finn they were incredibly impressive and just on the Nicky Quaid point because I know you guys yeah. were talking about earlier on as well the six minutes after Nicky Quaid went down to check on his uh, contact lens Limerick won by two points to one and Galway had two goal chances I think right, sometimes the narrative enough. ends up yeah. uh, seeming a lot more dramatic than it is and I'm sure it's, like, it's not the last time that a goalkeeper will go down uh, to ensure that a message can get on but even James Skell who was in a conciliatory mood on Sunday on the live show said it was also an opportunity for Galway to get information onto the pitch at the same time as well so um, it's dangerous to read into that and think oh the Nicky Quaid moment was the moment that Galway yeah. stopped I actually think when Galway withdrew and went to a one man full forward line a few minutes earlier that was the moment that the game switched plus I think Galway looked out gas at that point as well if Hannon's only half fit would you still start him and give him a half I think they will yeah I I think if he's able to get onto the pitch and obviously having the extra two weeks for the final is going to make a difference there was talk of four weeks he'd potentially be out for so if he's touch and go and he gets back to training next week ahead of the game I think he would want his experience around number six it's not that Will O'Donoghue had any particular problems Mm -hmm. I just think you're stealing away from what O'Donoghue can be doing in the middle of the field by comparison and Darrow Donovan did a great job he was named man of the match in RT and he controlled that middle area and if it comes to it you can always drop back in Keen Lynch or you can put someone else around the middle sector uh, this is the big advantage that you have if you're Limerick because if so many players that can kind of plug in and play in various different positions but I think if Hannon is fit you want him steering your team for number six in an All-Ireland final now they won without Hannon in the league final earlier this year mm. where Dan Morrissey was playing at number six so it just goes to show that John Kiley can do it in different ways and there was that kind of just feeling as well that Keane Lynch is starting to come back to uh, top form at different times during the semi-final as well he's been battling through that hamstring injury throughout the year you know I thought Kyle Hayes put in a very good performance didn't play at six where he was named again we saw a couple of moments from Garrod Hegarty which is scary stuff for everyone watching Limerick at the moment if there's maybe a couple of extra gears to come from them potentially in the All-Ireland final yeah scary stuff and it's, it's funny how even Colm you mentioned earlier that the, there are so many moments from those two games that might go under the radar because there results the O'Donnell goal because Clare lost the Mannion goal for Galway because Galway lost oh Carl Mannion's goal was absolutely yeah, right. one of the best finishes I've ever seen Cooney's yeah, pass Cooney. inside as well oh. and the finish like it was a low percentage effort Will. Like, he shouldn't have even gone for goal 
but even no, the, I think I think the Limerick defenders didn't think he was going to go yeah. for goal. I think they thought that he was running out of space um, after the break, and that Carl Mannion was probably going to shorten his grip and just tap it over at that yeah. point. So it was incredibly ballsy to mm. shoot across goal, especially against Nicky Quaid, who is an outstanding goalkeeper. And we're talking about great goalkeepers uh, with Murphy. Uh, what a finish but then that's what Carl Mannion has in his locker and it's why I think we talked about the power rankings a couple of weeks ago where we were praising Mannion playing deeper in the role against Tipperary mm. but if you could have Carl Mannion further up the field that's what he brings penetrative runs he's a fantastic shooter and I, I think if you're Henry Shefflin looking into next year you would love to have Carl Mannion in a more prominent position up front because the scores really did dry up for Galway once they brought um, that change around where Kincannon stayed as the only man inside and I felt when Conor Whelan came out out the field a little bit he got lost in the game while he was incredibly dangerous in the first 20 minutes or so so again I think that's the decision that Galway will look back on and think if they've been slightly more brave maybe they could have asked more questions about a Limerick defence which has been patched together because mm-hmm. of Finn and Hannon been out as well but uh, it was comfortable for them once they had extra men back there Yeah it was the audacity from uh, from Mannion as well I think probably the element of surprise Nicky Quaid might not have been expecting the shot on goal there was also in the Kenny Clare game and it'll be lost because of the old Murphy save on 22 minutes I think it was mm-hmm. Connor Fogarty makes a block on a certain Clare goal and it's like that, that'll be lost to the Holy. whispers of time because of the Owen Murphy save but like only for that I mean it was an unbelievable block in itself it almost felt like a meme Shane it's like he came out of nowhere and next thing there's Fogarty there uh, to make a block slash hook uh, just at the very last second when Clare were about to score a goal so that's the thing for Clare they look back at it and say there's two certain goals if it wasn't for incredible moments in the game that they could have scored and he has to take huge credit for that and the way it kind of summed up Kilkenny I know it can sound like a cliche when we talk about a team really wanting it and hooks and blocks are really important and you know but if you think about it the goal that Owen Cody scored was down largely to the work rate of the Kilkenny forward and in Fogarty's case it was about the work rate of getting back at the last moment to be there when you know other players may, may not have burst themselves uh, to get back into that position and the other thing is I really feel for the Kilkenny hurlers who are now going to have to have a dry day the day before the All-Ireland Final Killian Buckley's wedding oh, what unfortunate yeah. timing oh, on the Saturday before the All-Ireland Final so I'm sure they're all going to go and have a, a fine time but they'll probably be leaving the reception at a very reasonable hour to be back oh. in their bed ahead of the All-Ireland Final to be fair to Killian and his, and his uh, future spouse like if you're booking a date for, for a wedding as a Kilkenny hurler a lack of self-confidence there come on come on well, I mean, apparently I'm told through Paul Murphy that they booked the wedding a couple of years ago and it was when the right. final wasn't as far oh, yeah. back as it is oh, now. Fair enough, so fair I think enough, the plan yeah. is the wedding would have been, if the calendar was the same as it was two years ago, it would have been, I think, a week or two weeks after the All-Ireland final in the oh, hurling. Right. Uh, so unfortunately, you can't really switch it round when <laughs> the M-U-T-A. calendar changes the year out. Yeah. Uh, and the hurling pod on Sunday, Will, you were saying not necessarily a foregone conclusion, the result of the final. We asked John Duggan earlier, he didn't hesitate. He said Limerick. What are you thinking? No hesitation, but I think the fact that Limerick are going to win, that's not... like Kilkenny won't care if every single pundit between now and Sunday week say that Limerick are going to win. And even if people very confidently predict that Limerick are going to win, they won't care. They will point out to last year that they were still in the game in the closing stages and they'll go up there to try and upset Limerick in the final. But for me, I think this Limerick team have just kind of worked their way into the year a little bit. Those single score games in Munster were about teams really going at them. We saw at the weekend what Limerick can do when a response is needed, when they were 
six points down in the game. They've got all that experience. I think you'd be silly to back against a team that have shown so much over the last five or six years and getting themselves out of those type of positions. Um, I think they're a team that we really should savour because there will come a time when this run will come to an end. But at the moment, they're absolutely awesome. And I think it's going to be a league and championship double for Limerick this year mm. with a Munster title sandwich in the middle as well. Just, you know, win all the silverware. 16 finals out of 16 under Kylie. So... Yeah. back against that yeah, that kind of answers the question Patrick Coleman puts in the YouTube comments Will how much will it drive Kilkenny on to get revenge for the league final in last year's All-Ireland I think I mean, they'll, they'll, be a lot, they'll be a lot better in the league final That's yeah, the imagine they were so. very disappointed in Porky Cueve that day I think they'll definitely bring their performance up from there like having Mullen back in his electric pink boots is a big boost for them um, ahead of the final as well so and Owen Cody is in remarkable form you could probably argue that Kilkenny are despite the fact they only got over Clare by three points this time as opposed to 12 last year I think Kilkenny almost looked in better form coming off that semi-final than they did last season. So I, I think this is going to be another tight one. Don't for a minute think that Limerick are going to roll Kilkenny over. Mm. But again, I find it very difficult to oppose Limerick overall. Mark says, lads, as a neutral, the officiating was outrageously one-sided. This is on the uh, Claire Kilkenny game, I assume. The contrast and freeze gave him were scandalous and then three minutes out of time was just a joke. Let's call a spade a spade. And Crack of the Ash, uh, Will, says, when is Scale going to get pulled for still not having watched any Father Ted needs dealing with? I, th- I think fairly soon. Um, somebody tweeted us, um, you know, the I made the BBC moment with Henry Sellers uh, when he loses the head. Uh, well, obviously, Paul was on the BBC at the weekend. So one of our listeners sent us a Photoshop of Paul Murphy's head onto Henry Sellers saying, I made the BBC and was very quick to point out. All three of you will get this, but not Skell because he's never seen it. So, yeah, I, I, this is the scary part. Skell has not watched much Simpsons or much Father Ted. So I have to kind of wonder what was happening as a child in Cappy that he managed to miss probably the two shows that everybody watched when they were of a certain age. But this is a James Skell who the night before an All-Ireland final was out fixing a bridge um, because he went to try and bring home a load of turf. So What a lovely, you know. what a lovely we, we, it's come full circle here because we were talking about bridges on the start of the show, Will, and, and I was talking about my, my favourite bridges and we were getting a lot of comments. So we got to go. Bridges. We got to go. What a fantastic <laughs> Let's way get out of here. Will, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. That is the Hurling Power Rankings. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Just meant to be talking about bridges this morning, wasn't it? Because obviously I had to, I didn't text Will to say that, you know. But uh, uh, also a lovely comment from uh, Adrian Long. Cullum's being so comfortable in his corkness is a thing of beauty. It's born that way. I think we're both comfortable in our countiness. In our, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you have to be. You can't help it, you know. I, I never understand someone who's not proud of their county. Send in if you're not proud of your county. Yeah. Oh, actually, do you remember that time we were talking about counties? There was it a week or two ago, and we were like. The best places versus the worst places yeah. in the country. Yeah. Some fella DM'd me like a stranger saying Carlo's the worst place ever. But then a lot of people come to Carlo's defence. And yeah. I was in Carlo and it's a very nice place. Yeah, it is. Also, one of my favoured GA jerseys is Carlo's. And they, just, they just go for it. That's like. controversial. It's all sort of colours. Yeah, you know, yeah. just go for I it. I also like it. Um, Sligo's gone right up my list after being there recently. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I like Kildare's very simple white. It's, it's always oh, sweet. you're talking about jerseys? Yeah, right. yeah. Sorry, yeah, I was yeah, talking yeah. about the county. The oh, county no, jerseys, jerseys. Um, James Skettle, I could see in Father Ted. Yeah, oblivious because he's oblivious to an ancillary character. I could see him. Yes, yeah, in yeah. one or two episodes. Yeah, we no, should watch fair. it. Yeah, we should absolutely. Watch it. Get it on, uh, James, if you're watching. Nine forty a.m. on Tuesday mornings at PM. Column, thanks a million. Thanks for having me there, Shane. Well, it's morning pleasure as per usual. OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.